On this episode, the Enterprise gets to test its self-driving mode. Kirk runs out of gas and just kind of drifts, literally. Spock is guilty of mutiny, again. And it's the episode of Star Trek in which characters from Star Trek sit down and watch a rerun of Star Trek. Yeah, they were meta before it was cool. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard. Take your station and find something to hold on to because there are no seatbelts on this bridge. Hey everyone, welcome to No Seatbelts. This week we're going to be discussing The Menagerie, well, part one anyway. Uh, this is episode 11 of the first season. Uh, it aired November 17th, 1966. And just in case you look at the preview images for it and you're like, hey, I think I saw this episode before. You kind of did. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little <laughs> bit weird. Uh, it's it's definitely the most unique uses of reruns ever. For for those that don't know, this is this is the repackaging of the episode "The Cage," which was the original pilot. We've already talked about that. Um, the but basically, they ran out of scripts, and not <laughs> only that, but it was really expensive to do all the special effects and time consuming to do all the special effects. So yes. they basically said, "I've got this." whole thing already in the can, we can do a little bit of work on the side and turn it into an actual episode that we can use because they given the fact that it's got a different captain and everything, they couldn't use the thing as is. Right. So they decided to turn it into a two-parter and add some fluff. (laughs) And it turned into one of the coolest episodes. That's super weird and is very unique. It's also the only two-parter that ever existed in the original series. Yeah, it was it was interesting that uh, Justman kind of went to uh, uh, Roddenberry about this and and said, "Hey, you know, we're going to shut down production." Um, James Doohan at one point had said Roddenberry's plan was to actually package the cage as a feature movie, possibly a TV movie, but hopefully a feature movie. But the cost of it was just too much, and there was no way that. Uh, Jeffrey Hunter was coming back to do more shoots on it. So uh, they kind of found a different way to, to use it. And it turned out to be very clever. And again, one of the best episodes in the Star Trek library. Right. It's it, sometimes magic just happens out of nowhere. You never know. <laughs> so um, the, the credits on this are super weird too. Yes. Um, so we're, we're only looking at episode or at, at uh, part one. So, the the credits for part one are um, Mark Daniels directing and Gene Roddenberry writing, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, is it ever not just kind of Gene wrote it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were... Uh... So they went ahead and what they could, they did what's called the envelope, which is all of the scenes that are going to be newly shot scenes with Spock and Kirk and, and, uh, and Runberry is credited with the writing for that. And Mark Daniels is credited with the directing for that. Now, as far as Roddenberry is concerned, well, actually John DF black wrote the original story. Roddenberry did not like it rewrote it and took credit for it. Black was so ticked off about this that he actually went to the union with a grievance, but he did not end up getting anything out of it. 
Yeah, I can't imagine that the actors and writers union back in the 60s was really <laughs> like, oh, yeah, we'll get right on that because that's clearly your intellectual property. Uh, I'm going to guess they went, oh, yeah, well, who's got a TV show and who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> now, I think it is interesting that while he was writing this, they were actually shooting uh, the court martial episode, which Mark Daniels, the, who directed that episode, directed this one. So it's interesting. We're going to see a courtroom drama in this episode of The Menagerie just right after they had shot a courtroom drama episode and put it in the can. So I think Roddenberry might have <laughs> might have drawn a little bit of inspiration in the fact that, hey, we got a lot of props here and everything ready to go. Let's just uh, right. let's go ahead and keep in that vein. He's like, hey, um, you guys aren't going to film after five, right? <laughs> we can we can just keep on using this. Um, now, directing was Mark Daniels, and and I'll try to keep this short, but Daniels is an inter- interesting person. He was actually part of the original production crew for I Love Lucy. He was one of the originators of the three camera system uh, that uh, I Love Lucy pioneered and, and Desi uh, uh, had proposed. So Shatner had talked about Mark Daniels actually in glowing terms in his memoir and said that he felt that Daniels really respected the material, respected the cast, and the cast was very, very comfortable with him. Uh, And Shatner believes that he was probably the best Star Trek director of the ones that they worked with. Now, that also could be interpreted with he's one who threw me the most lines, but (laughs) it is Shatner. So, you know, we'll just go ahead and take it as no, he was a really good director. Um, He did a lot of work. He did tons of television work starting in the early 50s. Um, and the things that struck really stuck out to me on his profile was, uh, first of all, he did do, I believe it was 38 episodes of the original I Love Lucy, which he did leave to, for a more lucrative job because according to his his own account, might have been a mistake, but we were just making a show. We didn't know we were making history. So I went where the money was, you know, where the money oh, was. I mean, can you imagine though? Like, <laughs> I it's gotta be such a weird thing on any of these shows to, to sit back and go, well, there was this job that I I did. I put it in the can a while ago. And then about a year later, all of a sudden it's like, this is the number one show. <laughs> I, I can't go back to that job now. And then fast forward to 30 years later. And the guy's like, what do you mean? It's considered like the, the roadmap for how TV is done. <laughs> I was just like, I keep losing shots. I'm going to bring in another camera. And now it's like, no, no, no. There's books written about you. <laughs> it's got to be such a surreal thing to to feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just a, a, it is one of those things when I think about it, I like, I do. It's an amazing achievement. And one that, I mean, basically just changed the face of television for, for decades. It is crazy. It's still used today. Um, so well, Daniel, okay. he moved on to another less iconic, uh, series of, <laughs> of events. You know, all he worked on was, you know, Star Trek. <laughs> he had 10 episodes of Gunsmoke. He had 19 episodes of Hogan's Heroes, 33 episodes of Marcus Welby. But the one that really struck out, stuck out to me was 86 episodes of the show Alice. Yeah, that's not exactly quite the feather in the cap. Sorry. <laughs> I watched a lot of Alice. Oh, yeah, me too. 
<laughs> he directed 10 episodes of flow, the spinoff from Alice, which honestly, I probably saw all 10 of those episodes. Dear Lord. <laughs> there wasn't a lot on television at that time. <laughs> yeah. But that, that means that you were one of the five people watching. <laughs> They were literally making spinoffs of Alice. I know. Our comedy based on a, on a cinematic melodrama that had no resemblance. Oh, I was. Okay. So I will admit, I didn't know what Alice was when I was a kid. I just knew the TV show. And then when I got older, I found (laughs) out about what it was based on. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) That can't be right. They, They reversed Lou Grant at her. Right. You know, Lou Grant went from a sitcom to a drama. Alice, just the opposite. <laughs> Television's amazing. It's it's like finding out that that uh, History Channel Haunted Mansions was actually based on Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, wait, no. Uh, so one thing I do want to mention, Daniels and Roddenberry actually would win a Hugo Award for this episode. Bunch of punks. <laughs> Only wrote and directed half of it. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So it it is kind of funny that they got credit like that uh, because so this episode being that it is the first of its kind of being a two parter on, uh, on, uh, well, first of its kind on Star Trek. Uh, it was a little bit weird and they didn't really know how to handle things. So if you watch it, part one has different credits than part two does. And it was just basically because part one is heavy on envelope. Part two is heavy on the cage. And so the credits for the folks who did the cage in the original pilot is who they actually show at the end of the, in the end credits on uh, the second part, which I thought was a really cool thing to, to give everybody credit where it's due on, you know, the percentage that they did. of that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You have to figure that the union, that would be a really sticky situation with the union. So that seemed like as as good a solution as any, I would think. So the, the basic idea of this episode is, okay, we have a synopsis. Spock engineers a kidnapping of his former captain now crippled in a horrible accident. He steals the enterprise and is eventually caught. He stands trial for his deeds while the enterprise still under his control hurdles towards a planet Starfleet has forbidden contact with by pain of death. <laughs> That's a great synopsis. Uh, and it's, it's pretty accurate. I mean, Spock's like, Hey, I got a signal. Uh, let's go to this planet. And everybody's like, we can't go there. And he's like, <laughs> okay, cool. That's, that's cool. 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 I, I, I didn't want to anyway. Right. I wasn't going to go there. Um, I was joking. Hey, why don't you guys stay here? Give me the keys. And nothing bad will happen. <laughs> and then he steals the ship and goes to, <laughs> an enemy, or to a planet where they're not allowed to go. It seems like s- starships get stolen from star bases more than any other place. It is true. It is. Which is ironic when you think about it, but you know, I guess that's where they hang out the most. So I guess it's not, I guess well, it is. Perfect. It's because they have a high percentage of Spock showing up. <laughs> that's why. So, the thing that I was going to bring up is that the there is an interesting thing about the menagerie. When they went to edit the uh, the cage into the menagerie, they literally cut the new film and cut the old film and merged them together, which is why there was not a color copy of the cage available. That it just didn't exist for a long time because 
they, they chopped it up because they chopped it up for this oh, footage. Wow. And the only copy of the cage in its original form that existed was the 35 millimeter that Gene owned in his private collection. It was a black and white 35 mil. And the only reason that they were able to resurrect the cage is because they found clippings in a warehouse. So I'd read that they found the original in a warehouse somewhere, blah, blah, blah. What they actually found was the clippings that were taken out to make the menagerie. Oh, wow. And they were able to piece it all back together and build a final cut off of it, which, oh my God, what an amazing tale. I can't believe they were actually able to do that. But yeah, oh, I, I saw that cut actually when uh, when I saw uh, Roddenberry speak. That was one of the he brought oh, yeah? the Cooper reel and he brought the the cut of the cage. Oh man, I, I'm gonna have to look around for it. I, I've never seen the 35 mil one. I mean, obviously it's not going to be the same, but <laughs> <laughs> so the menagerie starts on Starbase 11, which Starbase 11 is a planet with purple skies. And lots of space needles that look like they're made in Minecraft, <laughs> like square and blocky. If you've ever seen a picture of the library at University of California, San Diego, it looks almost exactly like one of these, except for it's like five times as high. Okay. Um, it's, it's, these are just bizarre. Now, originally they were supposed to give this some sort of view of, of supposed to be having cranes or something like the, this in the original uh, background map because they wanted to give the idea that this was all being built up, but but the restore it looks pretty it looks pretty done. Starbase Eleven looks pretty livable. Yeah, it seems like an odd choice. Like, why not honor what they were actually going for and show it under construction? I thought that was kind of weird. Yes, yes. Usually they they stick pretty close to uh, when they did the restores. This one was a little bit different. Um. So we uh, start with watching a female officer stand <laughs> on the sidewalk and look around the sky because that's where people beam down. <laughs> oh, it was so weird. It was like, they were like, all right, now you're waiting for them to arrive. And she's like, well, everybody wrote, shows up in airplane. So I'm going to look up. <laughs> and she had like this goofy smile on her face. Like, I'm just so happy. I'm so excited. And, <laughs> <laughs> so they beam in and she's still just like, Hey guys, how's it going? And they're like, hi, nice to see you. And she goes, I don't know why you're here. Nobody called you. <laughs> and she's so happy to tell them too. It's amazing. What the heck are you doing here? I do like that. They beam down right in between a big metal sculpture and a concrete wall. And at that point I'm thinking Scotty is just showing off. Right. Like, I'll show I'll you. you down drunk. Right I'm not drunk. <laughs> I could just remember, I can put you anywhere I want. <laughs> I wonder if he's like, every time he beams them down, he gets them a little closer to a wall, a little closer to a wall. <laughs> One of these days I'll put you in that wall. <laughs> well, at least he has them facing away from it. That would be the really cold thing. Next time your pants are on backwards, you got it. So <laughs> she's, she's like, we didn't call. And Kirk's like, mm-hmm. yeah, great. Yeah. You called. Let's go see your boss now. 
<laughs> the look on his face too he just seems so bemused by oh, she thinks we didn't call <laughs> yeah I know, right <laughs> he always does that though he whenever he's dealing with a woman that isn't part of his crew and sometimes on his crew <laughs> he's always got that look on his face like yeah sweetie okay whatever <laughs> it's like dude come on so they do go in to see the boss man which is commodore mendez um which his first name is Jose. And I swear to God, I spent like the first half hour of this episode thinking the Jose they were talking to was the Jose Kirk was referring to when he said that he could have his Mexican chili peppers <laughs> when we get around to it. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, not the same Jose. Turns out they actually quite like reusing the name Jose in this show. I've come across <laughs> it three times just in 11 episodes. It What amazed me was that I always... I always knew that his name was Jose Mendez, but I never knew why. I watching it with closed captions this time. It's like, oh, he actually does say it because, like, forever I was like, yeah, that's Jose Mendez. But I'm then I couldn't figure out. Do they actually ever say that? Why with do closed caption? I actually got to say, oh no, no, okay, that's that actually is his name. I didn't make that up. <laughs> now the guy who plays uh, Commodore Mendez is a fascinating dude, uh, Malachi Throne. A name like that, how could you not be a fascinating dude? <laughs> Um, for you next generation fans you might recognize him as the Romulan Senator Pardek yeah uh, I do next generation episode reunification which was one of those when I first saw I was like who is that dude Um, (laughs) you want to know something uh, really cool about that about reunification yes so in this episode well in the cage the first episode that was ever produced Malachi Thorne is the voice of the Telosians or oh, of the yes. Telosian who yes. contacts them. That is Leonard Nimoy's first episode of Star Trek. Reunification is Leonard Nimoy's last episode of Star Trek and Malachi Throne was there. Bookends. So freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm always going to remember Malachi Throne as the uh, voice of the narrator for Lancelot linked secret chimp, which was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. Um, he had actually worked with Shatner previously on the defenders, um, and would end up becoming a regular on the show to catch a thief after this. Uh, he really liked acting. Not to be confused with to catch a predator. Very different (laughs) shows. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please do not write nasty things to Robert Wagner. They are two totally different shows. Um, uh, reading a little bit about him, the, he he was really into acting. He actually quit high school during World War II to work in the theater um, because there were there were so many openings at that time. Um, he went back to school uh, after the war and actually stayed a student the rest of his life because at one point in an interview, he told somebody, eventually acting is going to dry up and then I'll <laughs> become a teacher. It never really did dry up for him, though. He uh, he did serve in Korea, and when he came back, his career really started to come off, uh, start to take off, especially on stage. Uh, his he has a very large voice, a very booming voice, and so yeah. he was able to play uh, characters much older than he actually was. Um, then, after doing a stint in the uh, San Diego Globe Theater, he decided to just head up to Hollywood and see if he could get any parts up there. And he started his TV career and he never really looked back. Um, he was originally, 
um, offered a part in Star Trek, and he told Roddenberry mm-hmm. he wanted Spock. Yeah, <laughs> Roddenberry told him, "Next there, dude." <laughs> yeah, we already we already got her Spock. So he offered him the part of McCoy, and uh, Throne said he turned it down because there's an old actor saying that you never want to be the third guy through the door. And he pretty much felt Leonard McCoy was always going to be the third guy through the door for that series. And so he kind of stepped back for it and didn't want to do that. Now, being the third person through the door on this, there was room for six. So I don't know that it was really the greatest of choices not to be McCoy. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he did all right. Yeah. Yeah. He actually, he also, there's a Star Wars connection for him because he actually did the, uh, he narrated the trailer for the original Star Wars when it came out. That's pretty freaking cool. So there's the, but yeah, he's in like <laughs> in said, a he, world he, where Darth Vader <laughs> rules over all. <laughs> <laughs> and you do, I mean, the voice he has and the, and the way him and Shatner get into it, you could definitely, I mean, you could imagine he would have made a decent McCoy. Yeah. He could have pulled the, the part off. Yeah. Um, I, he wouldn't have had the, the, uh, the old guy aesthetic, I guess. <laughs> True. I mean, he could pull it off, but it, I, I don't think quite as well as DeForest Kelly could. Not quite the bugging eyes. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> and that, that weird dreamy smile he gets in every time he sees a lady. <laughs> And magically changes it to his medical tunic and then back into his regular <laughs> shirt. <laughs> Man, that's good stuff. So Spike's like, hey, I uh, I totally got a message. And, uh, you know, it was from Pike. And Mendez is like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> He's like, yeah, no, I totally did. He's like, um, <laughs> I, got I think you should see something. <laughs> First of all, that wasn't from Pike. It's like, no, you, you didn't click on any of the links of that message, right? <laughs> no, no, seriously, it was from Pike. He said that he really needed to move some money out of the country. And <laughs> that if I helped him, I'd get half. It was great. <laughs> it's too bad we don't use money anymore. So oh. I sent him navy beans. <laughs> navy beans. Uh, so... Yeah. So they, the Mendez is like, no, no, you gotta, you gotta come see this for yourself. And, uh, they start talking about Pike for a sec. And that's when we find out that Pike is in fact a fleet captain. Now, is that an actual rank? Like, like they go, it goes captain and then fleet captain. You know what? I would have to look that up. I, I don't know if that's really I'm not sure. Cause they mention it in strange new worlds when he, when Farragut doesn't have a captain. And Kirk is waiting for the Farragut to be, to have a new captain. Pike is called fleet captain and he's given the, the, uh, captaincy of both the ships. It is in fact a real rank. It's a historic military title that was bestowed upon a naval officer who served as chief of staff to a flag officer. So that's crystal clear, right? Okay. I'm not really sure what that means, but okay. Uh, it's from the Royal Navy. In the 17 and 1800s. Okay. So let's see that that works into my theory that Malcolm Reed is responsible for a lot of the tradition in uh, Starfleet. Oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. The U S Navy did use it in the 1800s. Um, instead of captain of the fleet, it was fleet captain. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, and that's how they use it in the, in uh, strange new worlds. 
Only problem is, is that the fleet captain was not always actually a captain in rank. <laughs> and that's true in, in the Navy as well. The uh, captain is both a rank and a role. Yeah. Uh, during or in 1869, they changed it from uh, uh, fleet captain to chief of staff. So it's, it's like he got promoted from captain to admiral secretary. Yeah, that works. Kind of. I don't know. It's a little weird. Anyway. Better health benefits. Yeah, right. Which at this point he's going to need. That's true. That's true. He, he, <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, so he's the fleet captain. Which, as you said, they mentioned in Strange New Worlds, um, which um, I also really liked that in Strange New Worlds, they gave him the, cl- the fleet captain insignia on his, uh, on his lapel or on his shirt. Uh, which was kind of weird because uh, it was a bunch of little tiles instead of one big insignia. <laughs> I, I actually, I want to zoom in on it and see if, if one of them is the enterprise logo and like, maybe there's the Farragut logo or something else like uh, little yeah. tiny ones. That'd be kind of cool. Actually. Actually that is. Yeah. That's right? a really good idea. I, hey, uh, just showrunners. Hey, I, I, I got some good <laughs> ideas. I'm just saying. <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as set designer, but you know, I have an idea every now and then. <laughs> so Pike is not going to be played by Jeffrey Hunter. Cause Jeffrey Hunter was not going to come back to do this. Um, he was like, so, mm, no, I want to be a movie star. <laughs> My wife says I'm a movie star. I'm going to be a movie star. <laughs> um, so Pike in this situation is being played by Sean Kenny. Um, Kenny will actually play it in, uh, uh, Star Trek in season two as officer DePaul, uh, was DePaul a lieutenant? I think he was a lieutenant. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out next season. Um, and he got, well, he was a Saint, got Saint Vincent DePaul. Oh, uh, that guy. Uh, uh, That's who that guy is. All right. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I'm a dad. Wait, I have dad jokes. What can I say? <laughs> Um, one account actually says that he was chosen because his eyes so closely resembled hunters, the the striking light blue eyes. Um, and then they basically, he decided that the, uh, the beep beep thing that we're going to talk about was going to be necessary because unfortunately Sean Kenny does not sound anything like Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah. And I mean, that, that would have been a real problem in this role. True. I, I guess. I mean, <laughs> would it really be a problem if we've proven that he can be replaced with beep, beep? <laughs> in, in how about his throat was is burned? Taught. A fleet where everyone is taught Morse code. Everybody. <laughs> and all they give him is one beep for yes, two beeps for now. Right. And. I okay. Should it have been that way or should it have been two beeps for yes and one beep for no? <laughs> I would think that no is what you want to go with first. I'm just saying. He was one of those people who wanted to say yes to things. It was oh, how he was trying to embrace life. They were they were looking at his positive personality and they were like, All right, yes, all right, yeah. come on, buddy. All right. Which fine. is weird because as we get into this, it's really odd because his positive personality is definitely going to come after this point in his life. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> now it is, 
so because of the fact that he was uh, being played by a different actor, of course they wanted to cover up his face a little more. So in order to do that, they stuck him in five hours of makeup every single day. Oh, good gravy. Um, now what's interesting about this though, is when they first tried to do the makeup, they, uh, they did it all with just regular makeup and it melted real bad under the lights. And so the cost or the, the makeup designer was like, I have an idea. And they pulled out a big chunk of denim and they stuck denim to his face and did some little edge work around it. And they liked it a lot. It's also why when you look at this, you're like, why does he have a big blue scar? That's because it's a <laughs> chunk of jeans. <laughs> Delta rays turns flesh into denim. That's right. It's weird. Uh, they're, uh, they're actually Levi rays. It'd be Lambda rays. <laughs> no, that's not right. Anyway. Um, so the, the thing is, that's kind of funny about this is on day three, I think uh, he came in and he was tired because he'd been doing all of this. And his makeup guy was tired because they'd been doing all this. And uh, so they sat down and he was like, and the makeup guy was like, "Um, yeah, yeah, I think I got this. Put him through five hours of makeup and put the denim on the wrong side of his face. So (laughs) they had to redo the entire thing. And he's like, "It, it was so weird because I was so tired. I didn't even notice. And so we were looking in the mirror going, something's not quite right. <laughs> so they pulled up a picture and they're like, Oh, it's really not right. <laughs> anyway. So Chris Pike is in bad shape. And they go and they find Pike and, and because Kurt keeps on asking him, you know, well, if Spock says that, you know, Pike sent a message and Mendez has to tell him, it's like, honestly, you haven't heard what's going on. It's been all over subspace chatter. It's been all the free- and <laughs> it was and on Facebook. Says, I'm just saying <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there's a scene here where I think it's really funny when when Kirk admits that he doesn't know, and there's a slight head bob by Spock in the back when Kirk says, "Oh, I haven't heard anything," and it's almost as if Spock's like, "Are you freaking kidding me?" Are you so self-involved right. that you haven't heard this lend when everybody in the world has heard it? Do you remember when Ahura announced it over the PA? <laughs> if Ahura knows, everybody knows. So like I said, it's just a small head bob, but it's one of those things. It's it's uh, <laughs> to a Vulcan, it's 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 pretty large. <laughs> right. That was the moment when Malachi Throne was looking at Nimoy and he's like, Oh, yeah, that's why. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> So they go to, to, to meet Pike for the first time and they walk down what is clearly a hallway at NBC or Desilu studio. <laughs> um, and they open a door. Yes. Yes. You have a man in an electric wheelchair with his arms pinned underneath in a base filled with automatic doors that slide open. And you put him in the one room that has a swinging open door. Yep. I don't know. I wow, I think guys. just wow. I just <laughs> everything's wrong with this scene. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's an abandoned storeroom. I uh, that they were like, yeah, we can use that. So let's use that. 
<laughs> oh, I also we'll forgot just... to to mention that when they did his, <laughs> so we see him for the first time sitting in the chair, and he's got this bright white hair. Uh, another oh, yes. another makeup flub they did is they they made him dye his hair white, and he did bright white, and they got it under the the, the lights, and they went, oh, that's too white. <laughs> So they powdered his hair to make it darker after this poor guy just dyed it white. Now sit in this chair and shut up. Right. I really love when they walk in this room because the director decided to do the classic, I'm facing away from the door and then I'm going to turn around to dramatically look at you. (laughs) Except for he's doing it in an electric wheelchair as envisioned by people in 1966. So it moves at basically maybe a half mile per hour at the very most. So the, the turnaround reveal is it, it takes a little bit. Oh my God. I, it is excruciating. <laughs> He's his chair is kind of a combination of, it's kind of like a combination between Davros, the bad guy from Dr. Who mm-hmm. with a little bit of Darth Vader thrown on the front. Yeah, I can see that. Um, uh, he was also for some reason dressed like one of the, uh, um, the security guards from uh, that show that I can't remember the name of Logan's run. <laughs> the Sandman from Logan's run. That's it. The Sandman. The Sandman from Logan's run. Nice call. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm old too. <laughs> and I know it from the movie, not the TV show that nobody else knows about. <laughs> I saw both. Actually, <laughs> I just watched. I just watched the movie uh, not long ago. That's so good, Jenny Agatha Sanctuary. <laughs> so we find out that Pike was injured on a training ship, and he was injured being very heroic. Now, this is something if you've watched Strange the New Worlds, you know all about. There is a rupture of a baffle plate on a J class starship. Hey, J class. Call out to the J class. That's the uh, the um, the Harry Mudd slash Boomer. Yes, the Boomers. That, yeah, I was like, I know this um, one. I know this one. So he pulls the kids out there, but not before he is hit with a lethal—not a lethal, but a debilitating dose of Delta rays. Delta rays are extremely dangerous, and they're also named after the famous actress scientist who discovered them, Delta Burke. That's correct. That's one hundred percent true. <laughs> So it was back we know, when she was designing women, <laughs> <laughs> which was actually a show about cloning and nobody understood that. Anyway, works on so many levels. Oh. <laughs> God, people are turning this off now. You realize that <laughs> rightfully. So I have only myself to blame. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they put Pike in a very, very slow, again, this is a, this is an electric wheelchair as envisioned in 1967. So this thing cannot move hardly at all. Um, it can only beep a little bit as we mentioned. And Okay. So here's something that I love about this chair though. It beeps yes or no. And the tone of that beep is very similar to if you've ever been to Disneyland and you've been around people in assistive scooters, they beep when they go in reverse. <laughs> Sounds very similar to this. I, all I can think is that somebody was like, well, I mean, if I'm going to put a beep in a wheelchair, it's got to be that one. It's <laughs> <sighs> so 
they all show up and they all see Pike and they're like, wow, that, that sucks. And um, yeah, he probably didn't send me that message. (laughs) And Mendez is like, Hey, you have some visitors. And, uh, and Pike is just right away all boop, boop, which is no Uh, repeatedly. He is just really hard. He's leaning on the no button. Um, does he have a no button? Does he have a no button or does he have a button? Like, does he have like, you know, yes in the right hand and no in the left hand? Or is he? I hope he has a yes and a no button because if he has an actual button, again, Morse code. Right. And he's like, you know, yes and no. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, wait, what did he say? (laughs) I I don't know. Everybody else is yes, no, yes. Yes, no, yes. No Morse code. Oh, I'm really rusty on that. Sorry, Chris. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Right. <laughs> so Spock stays behind and he gets really cryptic and ominous. He tells Chris Pike, his former captain, hey, I've never disobeyed an order from you, but I'm going to do it now. It's only six days away at maximum warp. I have it well planned. And there goes the ominous mu- uh, music. Pike is still beeping. No, totally in this whole thing. No, no. Now, one thing I want to mention is... I got this. (laughs) Spock says all of this out loud, which we're going to come back to later, but he sits in this room and tells Pike all of this out loud, which, again, I'll bring up a little bit later. Now, apparently... One of the novelizations that was done to go with, or as a, a to retell this story, um, Spock actually gives more info here and explains to him what he's going to do. And there's also an alternate version of this that's also in that novel. I don't know. I, w- I was reading about it. It, it was kind of interesting, but I think this actually plays better and it gives you that that suspense a lot better. Yes, they, they, um, one of the novelizations goes into how the Telosians are actually compelling Spock yeah, and threatening Spock. And that's why Spock says, I have to do this. Now, alternatively, the season finale of Strange New World Season 1, there's an interaction between Pike and Spock because Pike is told by his future self, you have to make sure that nothing happens to Spock. That's pretty impressive that he did that with a yes and no button. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And and if you try to save yourself, because Chris Pike knows all this is coming. If you try to save yourself, Spock is going to pay the price. And there's a little interaction at the end where Spock figures out Pike did something really, really. I owe Pike something, but I don't know what. Yeah. But I obviously owe him a great debt. I'm just not sure why. And so this actually, that scene kind of makes all of this make a little more sense about Spock's willingness to completely uh, throw away his career and possibly even his life in an attempt to try to pay back that debt. So there is another version of it too. Um, And I forget which novel it is, but one of the novelizations where instead of the Telosians threatening him, the Telosians use their power to um, fake him out. And basically they fake the messaging from Pike. Ah, okay. And so he believes he actually did get a message and that he has planned all this stuff. And that's why he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it already. Don't worry about it. 
And Pike's like, no, dude, I didn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And so I I think that one's another interesting take on it too, because it kind of, it it kind of explains everything as to why Spock would go so hog wild into it and just be like, you know, you told me to ignore you. So I'm going to ignore what you're saying and I'm just going to do the thing. (laughs) Anyway, we do see a scene where Kirk is looking at the uh, little, those little 13 inch uh, or 11 inch TVs that they all have everywhere. Oh yeah. And they have a closer one that's just aimed right on bike. Yeah. That's all it does. Cameras on bike. And Kirk is watching it and he can hear boop, boop. Yep. So earlier when Spock was saying all of those things to bike. Yep. That was just the Spock's timing on this is awesome because he seems to be able to pull off some stuff just at the exact moment that nobody is looking. Well, and I also think that in the future, they don't record anything. (laughs) So, and Spock knows that he knows that tapes are only used for records and audio. They're not used for video. (laughs) after the great user data revolt of, of right. 2035. Too many yeah. deep fakes. No more video. <laughs> Which is funny because Spock's going to deep fake the heck uh, out of right? this. <laughs> so uh, it is kind of weird that they have a camera pointing directly at Pike too. Um, <laughs> Cause like, who's going to stay awake watching that? Like that guy is boring. All he says is no, no, no. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like the, the hotel channel when you go on vacation, you know, it's, it's <laughs> you could tune into it, but you think, why is this even here? Right. So Kirk and Mendez are fighting. Cause Mendez is like, dude, nobody called. I don't know what you're talking about. We checked the logs. There is no phone calls whatsoever. And Kirk's like, well, my logs say there was a call. And Mendez is like, are you sure? And he's like, well, I mean, I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> turns out no there isn't actually a log either but i mean spock wouldn't lie he's a vulcan he's incapable of lying <laughs> I, I i do like that they start to get snippy with each other up until the point that they start yelling at each other <laughs> and kirk tells him well he could have just asked for leave and i would have given to him mendez is like well of course that that's true and they both kind of look at each other like what wait what, Dude, what were we yelling about? That was so good, though. Yes, that's true. And then he just sits down. <laughs> are, are we are we done fighting? I, I don't. I'm really confused what we were angry about. Anyway, right? <laughs> uh, and then Kirk has to, you know, do the question: Who would want to diverse here? There's no alien problems in the area, and it's just like. I don't know why, but that just sounds so racist. I know, right? There's no alien problems. <laughs> I mean, realistically, alien problems is kind of like, you know, you got 99 Dude, of them, right? <laughs> in this part of space, you are the alien problem. <laughs> right? Kirk, you got 99 problems and the alien ain't one. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. So we flash to the computer center. Computer center. That's Oh, I love this scene. This is the room where... Which looks suspiciously like a redress of the of the engine room, but well, there's a reason for that. They rolled in <laughs> a big old wall to cover up the uh, forced perspective engine, <laughs> and you know they they came in and they they put Scotty on a dolly and they wheeled him out, 
<laughs> and uh, changed around all, all the stuff in there. Strangely, though, they actually added a whole bunch of crap to this room to make it not look like engineering, which I find is funny because engineering always looks like an afterthought. It always <laughs> looks like somebody was like, I don't know, put a put a diagram over there and um, I don't know, a big box over there. There, It, it looks like an engine. <laughs> anyway, so there's a crewman just going about his business. Doop, doop, doop. Pushing buttons, doing stuff. Woo-hoo. So why is it the crewmen don't have any sort of emblems? Because they, they'd get them dirty. <laughs> I, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. Right? That makes so much sense. Listen, being an IT guy in the 60s is a little different than it is today. <laughs> it wasn't about, uh, you know, keyboard and mouse and sitting down all day. Being an <laughs> IT guy back then meant lugging around a 50-pound roll of tape and... <laughs> <laughs> Probably having to open up a machine and literally use a wrench. <laughs> I love when, when Mendez calls down here because he does the typical boss thing. Well, have you checked everything? We checked everything possible. Start checking the impossible. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Thanks, boss. <laughs> what, what does that even mean? It means go get coffee. Yeah. I do <laughs> like the chief Humboldt, the guy who takes the call, like gets up, he looks at the readout. And they just turns around, grabs his Nintendo switch and heads to the bathroom. Right. <laughs> now I do want to say, we've talked about this before that a great series would be Star Trek IT. <laughs> oh, heck yes. This room is Star Trek IT crowd. <laughs> it's fantastic. So much so that all of a sudden Richmond walks in and we're like, holy crap, there's rich. Oh no, no. That's Spock. <laughs> hey, Richmond's still alive. <laughs> Incidentally, Spock seems like he comes through a red door too. Weird. <laughs> All right. I especially like sneaky Spock. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so he bends down and he sneaks past the open grates, but he's bent down. So you can't see him, hey, right? Listen, nobody can see you if you're in sneak formation. <laughs> it's it's so good. He just like he should have been up on tiptoe like Fred Flintstone. He was expecting the link. Okay, but the best part about this, so he goes behind the grate, goes behind a machine, and when he comes around the side of the machine, the guy's standing there and he sneaks up behind him. But as he's trying to come around this machine and sneak up behind him, the actor playing said IT guy clearly turns his back slightly so that Spock <laughs> isn't ever in his eyeline and Spock can successfully sneak up behind him and knock him out. <laughs> it's so good. He's just like, uh, 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 there you go. <laughs> A lot of things fell into place for this to happen. Right. <laughs> yes, Mr. Nimoy, whatever you want, Mr. Nimoy. <laughs> And then, of course, Spock has to do whatever Spock does, or what Spock always does when he's going to steal the Enterprise. Vulcan neck pinch somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It's now, either that or a thing. judo chop. You never know yeah. which one it's going to be. It depends on his mood. True. True. This is true. I think there's a reason we'll get back to We'll get to that a little bit later, why he used the neck pitch on that. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so, yeah, he knocks the guy out, and then he starts opening up the computer, which is going to... Com- completely void the warranty and all that stuff. It's true. And <laughs> I do have to say though, when he opened up that computer and started rearranging things, I was like, Oh yeah, this is like data and the ISO chips. It's so good, man. 
it was funny because I kind of thought that reminds me of Captain Awesome. <laughs> I mean, I've had my moments. Don't get me wrong. I have literally opened up a big panel on the side of a of a machine like that and rearranged ships inside. <laughs> they were rammed still. <laughs> anyway, so we go back to Jose's office. Oh, this scene is just something. It's super weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Jose's like, hey, Kirk, this is Miss Piper. And it's, of course, the lady who greeted them when they landed. <laughs> was looking in the sky waiting for them to peep down. Right. And now she's gone from the wistful, weird, I'm not really paying attention smile to the penetrating gaze <laughs> of like, hey, nice to meet you, Kirk. Like, oh, okay. Also, why is she Miss Piper? Why is she not Lieutenant Piper or Ensign yeah. Piper? No, yeah, no, no. He's it. like, this is Miss Piper. <laughs> Weird. So Miss Piper is played by Julie Parrish. Yeah. Um, she her career started when she uh, won a modeling competition that Jerry Lewis was one of the judges for, and he ended up casting her in It's Only Money and The Nutty Professor. So I don't know if her career started really, really creepy or really awesome. It's a great story though. A modeling competition and Jerry Lewis was a judge. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah that's that's quite a you you get a couple of uh, movie jobs right off of that that's pretty amazing right um so yeah she ended up uh she had a she was on a regular on a series called good morning world which had uh ronnie shell in it i'm a big ronnie shell fan uh and she'd go on to be one of the primary players in the soap opera return to peyton place uh clocking over 423 episodes of the show in three years um Though I will say probably your greatest role was being a staff counselor at Haven Hill shelter for battered women and their children. And unfortunately she passed away in 2003. Well, I mean, that would have put her in her seventies. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's really awesome that she uh, ended up going on to be a counselor like that. Yes. It's nice to see somebody, you know, discover yet another thing they want to do in life and something so amazing. Something, something that helps so many people. Right. So, so yeah, this gets a little weird because Mendez introduces them and then she says, oh yeah, I recognize him right away. Yeah. And Kirk is just like, uh, and she's like, oh, what, uh, my friend, Helen Johansson, Helen Johansson. I'm sorry. I'm just going to let that go. Uh, you know, described, described you to me. Yeah. How did she describe him? And then when Kirk gets a little uncomfortable, she goes, oh, oh, she only mentioned that she knew you. Yeah, no, it's, it's weird. I, I think it was one of those conversations where she's like, okay, so he's a starship captain and he's clearly wearing a girdle. If you see the girdle, <laughs> now you got the guy. Now see, that would make more sense with the goofy smile she has after she says that. Right. She's like, and oh, she's thinking huh. you're wearing a girdle and he totally takes it the exact wrong way. He's like, yeah, I'm charm. I am charming this chick. This is right. I'm, and she's I'm like, turn it on. <laughs> I can see your girdle. <laughs> Helen told me you wear a girdle in a corset. It's hilarious. <laughs> anyway. Um, also notice that the Ikea lamp is on the desk. Oh, Yes. Yes, and we we got the little uh, the little goose gooseneck uh, uh, little things coming out of the desk. So the cage, 
everybody on the bridge, everybody's got, well, at least the, the helm and the navigation, they have gooseneck lamps on their, um, on their console. And Kirk's got one on his chair too, that have a little tiny monitor in them. What's great about this is that if you watch strange new worlds, they have a modernized version of that (laughs) on the helm and navigation. Uh, I honestly, I didn't notice it until like an episode or two ago. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I know what those are. (laughs) It made me so happy. Actually, strange new worlds. You guys rock. (laughs) Even the singing episode. Nah, I said it out loud. (laughs) So, so Kirk thinks he's bringing pretty charming until uh, Piper brings up, you know, the most, the most logical person that's behind all this is Spock. And he's like, and you shut your filthy mouth. <laughs> and she's like, you know whoa, whoa. I'm not even sure I want to go out with you to dinner tonight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I feel bad for her because she's like, listen, they asked me to check and I checked and he didn't, he, he didn't get anything. Uh, uh, Helen didn't mention you're kind of a moody jerk, but you know. Right. <laughs> uh, I also like that. Uh, that Kirk is like, well, he, he's a Vulcan. He can't do this, but he actually said he's a Vulcan. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? I know it's so petty, upset. but it made me giggle. Okay. <laughs> and I do like, it's like, well, you know, we know Pike couldn't have sent that message because we've been watching him 24 hours a day. Well, no, you haven't because Spock just, unf- you know, unveiled a, ominous plan and right. nobody was seeing things he's there a monologue and, and second of all why are you watching him 24 hours a day you have no other way to monitor him other than have somebody stare at the 11 inch screen 24 hours a day i wonder why? if they meant the screen or if like somebody's literally sitting in there just staring at him all day <laughs> starfleet <laughs> is so weird sometimes right. am i creepy <laughs> beep beep that's what i thought <laughs> anyway, so he uh they're watching him and he starts to move. <laughs> and he moves around very very slowly as we've determined. So when Mendez describes how he can move, he's like, "You don't understand. He can only move forward and side to side and reverse slightly." <laughs> yes, like slightly reverse. What That's Why? just it's just mean. <laughs> why did you let him go backwards normal it's one of those things well i can't see behind him and we're you know we're sick of him running over our feet also if the chair can read his mental impulses that he wants to go forward backwards side to side why can't it understand that he wants to say things like even if it was like you know six phrases on a board one of them that we just you know think about I, I don't know. Uh, Again, we're we're seeing we're seeing a lot of what what nineteen sixty seven thought that uh, two hundred years was going to hold for us. I mean, yeah, I guess I just kind of go to outer space, but improve wheelchairs. Yeah, no. right. No, 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 no. that's not okay. <laughs> anyway, so we go back to the IT room. Uh, oh wait, wait, no, I'm sorry. There was another line that he said that just got me. He said, also. He said he's kept alive mechanically with a battery driven heart. 
And the way he said it was like he wanted to be screaming it. He really wanted to be on stage yelling, he's got a battery-driven heart. <laughs> and you know, Picard, in the back of my mind, Picard's just like, and just what is wrong with that? <laughs> Your people, the past bigotry is so weird. Right? Anyway, so we go back to the IT room, and Spock is like, all right, I've got access to all the machines. What are we going to do now? <laughs> and he starts inserting and pulling out tapes. And well, next thing you know, Hanson gets back and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? He literally says, Hey, what are you doing? It's so good. <laughs> I love this fight scene. It's, it's the best. <laughs> they, Scotty is trying where Spock is trying to, do his deep fake thing of giving commands to the enterprise through his various tapes. Humboldt walks in on him. They start to struggle <laughs> in the middle of the struggle. Spock humble pushes Spock out of the way. And then immediately yells at them. Whose tapes are these? Right. <laughs> As if that is the most important thing. It's so good. <laughs> But of course, oh, also, it's awesome because Humboldt's just not any real, any normal IT guy. When he can't stop Spock by pushing him out of the way, he just starts punching him in the face. Okay, so this is great. He not only does he come in and he's like, right, left, right, left, right, left, like just <laughs> hammering on him. And to his credit, uh, Nimoy just doesn't move. He's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. And he just like <laughs> takes it. And then. Clearly he's, he's gotten to the point now where he's had enough. And so he reaches over and throws him, but when he throws him, it's real odd because he spins the guy around, puts his <laughs> hands under his armpits and just kind of lift pushes him, which is apparently enough to destroy him because he's out of the picture now. <laughs> it's so weird. It's kind of like when you take a, take a small child in a swim pool, you know, and you grab him yeah. by the torso. <laughs> you go over there now. <laughs> so it's interesting fighting style. The whole time this is going on, Spock's tapes are talking to the, the enterprise and the enterprise is buying it hook, line and sinker. Cause they get a <laughs> tape that comes through and is like, hello, this is Kirk. <laughs> Okay, it's not that so, bad. So this is the thing. I'm thinking Spock knew what he was doing. He made sure that A, he chose a day that Scotty was drunk, which is basically any time. I mean, but at B, least Tuesday. He made sure that Hanson was at the top of the list. I'm guessing Hanson is probably your your dim bulb on the command list. Right? <laughs> well, he doesn't even realize that he's supposed to be sitting in the captain's chair. Because <laughs> there's nobody in the chair. It's just empty. And you got Uhura sitting in the corner looking at it like, that's my chair. Why, why don't I get the chair? <laughs> you bastards. Right? <laughs> Hanson's like, um, I guess I'm captain. <laughs> so, um, is that phone call for me? <laughs> so Hanson is played by veteran TV actor Hagen Biggs. Um, he did lots of guest spots in the seventies and, uh, from, uh, 
From 1985 to 1990, he was in a show called Danger Bay about marine biologists. And the only reason I bring that up is that the top of the list of that particular show was Donnelly Rhodes, who played Dr. Cottle in uh, Ronald Mord's Battlestar Galactica. So I thought there was a nice little bridge there. Um, he also had a series called Border Town from 89 to 96. So he had, had a pretty decent career there in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. Master Blaster runs Border Town. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is um, also going to be in the other courtroom drama that we know, Court Martial, um, which was shot back to back with these particular episodes. So he's going to pop up in that one as well. Oh, that's why he's on this episode. Because they were like, all right, and cut. All right, stay right there. And action. It, it does seem like a lot of the things that happened in this episode happened because things were just around. Right. <laughs> Courtroom drama. That's a great idea. Look, Michelle, we're not going to pay you anymore today. Just sit still and look at him like you're upset. You're not getting paid. Hanson, you're not getting paid either. Sorry. Or whatever I, I, like the, I like these. I like these dress uniforms so much. We should do two episodes with them in it. Right. <laughs> anyway, so the, the tapes go in. He puts in a tape that's like, Hey guys, this is Kirk. Um, listen, we've got a super secret mission. I want you to just do everything Spock says. And they're like, okay, that's weird, but all right. And then Spock comes on. He's like, yeah. So the captain clearly just said that. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put another tape and that's going to, I mean, <clears throat> my first tape. And that's totally going to tell the ship where to go. And you're not going to do anything about it. You're just going to let this happen. And they're like, well, Spock said so. And the captain said, listen to Spock. So I guess that's what we're doing. <laughs> it's similar to uh, something a uh, I, I, uh, Zen practitioner once told me, sit down, shut up, see what happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Spock is triumphant. So we're going to head back to Jose's office. And yeah, Kirk is watching the All Pike channel again. <laughs> And he's just beeping no, um, because no, that's no basically no. what he does. <laughs> Welcome to No Channel, where it's no all the time. You've got a question, we've got answers, and it's always no. And McCoy steps in. McCoy, McCoy's well. I, I've been harassing him as much as I can, and he's just about to pass out. So <laughs> I'm out of ideas. How about you? How do you know he's about to pass out? <laughs> Uh, sorry. <sighs> uh, it's, it's, it's McCoy. He probably has that little, uh, that little woo, 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 woo thing, you know, just constantly. Oh, that's true. He's like, uh, Oh wow. You're about to pass. I should probably leave. Oh, weird. <laughs> or that, or McCoy is just like, you're not going to do anything other than just say no. Are you? So, uh, you look tired. You're just going to sit there or what? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I do like McCoy's, uh, uh, little physical philosophical speech here because he talks about you know he's the guys in this body and everything but you know we can tie into all these organs but you can't tie into the brain and the brain is what life's all about i just for some reason <laughs> i love going giving that line it's because yeah, the brain is what life's all about baby you think about all the other star trek that's out there where they're like oh it's just the brain you know we'll just hack into it it's fine <laughs> and he's like the brain is the ultimate mystery we have no idea He's, he's British in this one. Just so you know. <laughs> Someday he's going to wear a fancy hat and he's going to know all about, about brains. Right. For a short period of time. Well, you know, but that will be season three. That's what happens with fancy hats. <laughs> 
So uh, Kirk's like, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Spock did lie. And Bones is like, what? Wow, that's crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because at this point, Bones and Spock pretty much hate each other still. Yes. I don't know. Um, this is, this is showing, this is, I think this is showing McCoy's professional, uh, uh, professional respect for Spock. That's fair. <laughs> so it's about this time that, uh, Kirk realizes that somebody's screwing with his ship and, and now things get nuts, right? You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> So Bones is like, hey, um, Spock's a good guy. You know, don't don't worry about it. What's that? I, I have to go back? Oh, okay. I, I got to go back. So, and I love this line. He's like, it's probably just a splinter or something. <laughs> like, um, They're calling the chief medical officer. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it might be something more than a splinter. <laughs> like they could be stealing the ship. Who knows? <laughs> Now we have the briefing. Now now Kirk is going to read the briefing on Telos 4. Yeah, as soon as Bones leave, Mendez is like, hey, I got something to show you. Come on over here. Mendez, for no reason whatsoever, is like, hey, you got to look at these classified orders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man, this is getting a little too uh, a little too contemporary. Right? And so he, he, he holds out this little red folder that is locked. And he's like, all right. You know what this is? And Kirk's like, uh, I yeah, it looks like a classified document, whatever. Which and, I should not be looking at. Right. And he, he glances over at Piper and he's like, well, she's still in here. And Mendez glances over too. And he goes, oh, don't worry. She's just watching Pike. It's fine. <laughs> yes, because she's watching the old Pike channel standing there. She's not even sitting. She's just standing in front of a monitor watching the all Pike channel. Seriously, the way she was standing there staring at that TV screen, she should have been drooling. Just like, <laughs> uh, all hell had no toad. <laughs> if I can get a hypnotoad reference into every episode, I will. <laughs> There's th- This was kind of like a, or the, the beep beep thing and watching Pike was kind of a, a AMSR type thing for Starbase 11, you know? Right. <laughs> so... They, so he's like, all right, you, you got to see this. Here's the deal. Every ship's captain knows about general order seven, right? And Kirk's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. General order seven. I know that one. Yeah. Everyone knows that one. That's where, uh, you're not allowed to go to Talos, right? And he's like, yes, for no reason whatsoever. Shall you ever (laughs) go there? Not an emergency. Nobody knows why. All we know is you don't do it. It's like, this is even going to not even tell you why. So. He goes, all right, I'm, I'm going to show you what the deal is. Cause you know, there's lots of identifying information here that, that I'm going to show you. So he uses his little, I don't know, unlocky magnet thingy. Oh, I love, I love this thing. Yeah. The security magnet that makes the uh, little metal flap just flap open and you can it's open up the It's kind of cool. I mean, like of all the technology they've shown in the show, this is like the most advanced stuff. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's I, pretty I awesome. was like, oh, that's, that's, that's pretty cool actually. <laughs> so um, I'm going to pull up the actual text here because the actual te- text of General Order 7 is just bonkers. So oh, I really love who signed it. Oh, this is great. So he opens it up 
And we're presented with a Times New Roman page of text with <laughs> strange uh, font sizes that vary greatly all over the place. It, it's like they deliberately made things in larger fonts so that you would read that part and not the not everything else. It's so, typed by Diane. She can't commit to a font. It is driving me crazy. I know, right? <laughs> so if we pull up General Order 7, the actual text of it is subject Talos four of the vernal gal or excuse me, Talos four in the third quadrant of vernal galaxy known facts, detailed information, cross referenced with three X, Y Fagrin level mass computer. I don't know what any of that means. I don't know <laughs> if that means anything at all. And then the only earth ship to visit planet Talos four was the USS enterprise commanded by captain Christopher Pike with half Vulcan science officer, <laughs> officer Spock. <laughs> now the thing is they did hundreds of things while they worked together, but I'm going to bring this one up. I was just going to pull this one out of my butt. Right. This is why. Recommendations be it hereby noted that said following instructions be incorporated in Starfleet policy. No one will ever visit Talos four all caps, <laughs> all caps. You know, they're serious. The following officers have visited Talos four and recommend that no human should ever visit it again. Captain Christopher Pike and half Vulcan science officer Spock. Like, does he identify himself as hi, I'm half Vulcan science officer Spock. Yeah, no, again, messed up. A little racist, right? Signed Starfleet command by order of Robert L. Comsol commanding officer. Oh, it's Comsol. Oh, Comsol. okay. Yeah. I misread it. It's All not right. Robert Conrad. That's misread a lot. <laughs> okay. Which I mean, the, the, the poetry, if it was Robert Conrad as Robert Conrad and William Shatner together were the force that brought down battle of the network stars. <laughs> okay. True story. There there's, there's a good story there to be had. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that someday. Battle so of the network stars. I absolutely love this general order both in the fact that it is incredibly vague and is <laughs> like, why would you cover this with a, a super special locking thing? Cause all it says is these guys went to this planet and they said, you should never go back. There is no classified data here. Nothing. I, I really like that. It's all paper and mm-hmm. leather bound. And this is Starbase 11, which means that every Starbase has a paper library of general commands. Yep. That's cool. And half of them you're not allowed to read. <laughs> what is, how is this? A, that's the other thing. If this is incorporated into Starfleet policy, how is it classified? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so not only is all of that problematic, but it's also signed by Robert J. Comsol. So, <laughs> That's the guy's name. He's the commander of Starfleet. <laughs> um, it turns out that, so I, I did a little bit of digging into the script of this because I was like, I want to see what this really says. Cause it looks really weird and I can't quite read it on screen and you know, whatever. So I looked some stuff up on it and I found that general order seven was actually uh, written down for the first time outside of the show in the book, the star Trek concordance which is by one of our absolute favorite people in all the world who is about to have her birthday. Oh, uh, Bijo Trimble. Trimble. 
Uh, B. Joe Trimble is also the woman who was responsible for the letter writing campaign that got us a third season of the original series. She's also the one who did the letter writing campaign that got all of the people who did the original letter writing campaign into the rec room in the big rec room scene in the motion picture. Um, and then on top of it, I just found out she also wrote another book that is about her personal life in being a fan and getting access to back to like behind the scenes oh, wow. stuff and everything. Yeah. B Joe's amazing. She's awesome. Yes. Agreed. But yeah, Star Trek Concordance was the book she wrote that was effectively the first of the, um, you know, fan made uh, books, reference about books. Star Trek. reference books. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, she kind of missed the detail on this one. And she said that, uh, his rank was actually Comsol and that it was commander of the solar forces. Uh, that's not true. It was actually his name. Okay. Meh, what okay. are you going to do? Yeah. Cause later on in the episode, it will say when it reads the, at the very end of this episode and tells men to take Mendes take over, she signed Comsol. Yeah. And she okay. just says Comsol, which again, if you were thinking that it was a rank, that makes a lot of sense. No, it was just signed by the guy. Alex Kurtzman, where's my Robert Comsol spinoff? Ooh. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, it would not surprise me at all if at some point during SNW, they, they have a Robert Comsol show up somewhere. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? Do you hear that writers? I know you can't write anything right now. <laughs> after after things settle down and and people start, you know, paying for work. <laughs> there we go. Please, so please we, pay people for work, please. They do good yes, work. Please yes. pay them. Okay. So when uh, when Kirk mentions that the Enterprise uh, was the only ship that went there, uh, Piper is shocked and turns around out of astonishment, out of a reaction of her astonishment. And she looks away for maybe five seconds, maybe six. And then she turns back and looks and the all Pike channel has been taken off the air because Pike is no longer there. Dun, dun, dun. So once again, Spock's timing is impeccable because the only six seconds that somebody's not watching him 24, 24 hours a day, he managed to get that entire, he must've beamed him out. He That's had to be him out. Cause seriously, you know, Pike that chair, can't move that fast. Yeah. That chair wouldn't move that fast in six right. seconds. You'd still see the tail end of it going. I have to admit, know? I was watching the episode and I'm like, there is no way he got out of frame that fast. Yeah. And I was, I felt really stupid. And I was like, Oh, I guess they have transporters. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Spock is just like, yoink. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so the enterprise just starts leaving and everybody's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I love the reaction shot at the end of this too. You know, the, the enterprise is warping out of, out of orbit and they close up on Jim Kirk's face where he's just like, that, that's my ride. Right. <laughs> Are you taking my ship again? Oh, <laughs> why does this keep happening? <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to stop leaving the keys underneath the floor. Mat. <laughs> at some point they need to put a bike lock on the enterprise. Right. So we go back to the bridge and they're like, Wow. We're just, we can just like leave, huh? There's, there's nobody around. There's no ships. 
<laughs> there are no this is a starbase and there's an amazing lack of any sort of ships anywhere in the vicinity they're all at starbase one that's where the party's at <laughs> everybody knows and you're like oh you don't want to get stuck out of starbase 11 nobody oh, wants to go to ooh. starbase 11 Woo. uh-uh <laughs> anyway so the, the, they're in cruise control at this point <laughs> Um, so much so that they don't even they don't even pay an actor to sit in the navigator's chair right well everybody on the bridge is just like so uh cards i'll play cards that's that's, that's fine (laughs) and spock's like hey don't touch anything the enterprise knows where she's going where the way he says that too the enterprise know where she knows where she's going mr hansen do vulcans anthropomorphize ships like that i don't she think knows so. where she's going that, that it, just seemed a very odd lie that seemed a little more it seemed a little familiar i don't know how to describe that yeah and it, it so it's not the only time that that uh, spock does that and it's always bugged me too and I, I the only thing i can think is that it's like you know i got used to a euphemism because i'm around people who use it all the time which happens right yeah, yes but yeah, no, I've like, it's never been anything that, that has been on any other Vulcans that they've been like, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, you know, Vulcan ship commander, whatever his name is. Uh, of course, at this wow, point, that this was a is, terrible failure. This is the second time that he's stolen the ship. So maybe, I mean, he's getting a, a slight bit of affection for it. Right. She always takes care of me, even though I always don't take care of her. <laughs> I don't know. And her is like, Hey, 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 uh, I got a phone call. And Spock's like, uh, I'm not here. Uh, <laughs> I, I love too. When he, when he tells her don't answer and Hanson's at the helm and he just turns around, and puts his, his elbow on the thing and looks at Spock is like, are you flipping kidding me? Right. <laughs> did you, did you just say no? <laughs> you know, that's the one thing she does on this ship. Right. And then you just tell her not to. <laughs> Nice dude. Real nice. But at least in old series style, Spock is going to make sure everybody's in on it. So he gets on the, on the horn. He's like, Hey everybody, this is Spock. I'm the captain. (laughs) Kirk's out. I'm the captain. You know what? On second thought, I'm not going to tell you anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's taco Tuesday. Try us for the stage musical rent will be in the auditorium at nine 20 and you don't need to know where we're going. The thing is though, is it all the other times that Spock takes over as acting captain, he doesn't get on the horn and tell everybody. I don't understand what this is about. It's like, he's just being a jerk. This time. I think he, he, um, I think this is his own, uh, anxiety getting to him. No, that could be. Everyone's going to be wondering what's going on. No, most of the people in the lower part of the ship don't care what's going on because they don't get to experience much of it. Right. But he's thinking, oh, no, they, they, somebody, he thinks at least Uhura knows what's up. Do you think if you live in the bottom part of the ship that like every time you hear the warp engines warm up, you're like, don't blow up, don't blow up, don't blow up, don't blow up. <laughs> on this enterprise? Oh, right? yeah. Right? Like, all I know is that I hope it doesn't blow up and my bunk vibrates every time we get to warp two. <laughs> I think that's how Scotty kept his job. All I have to do is keep this thing from blowing up. There you go. Which he manages to mess up at least four times. <laughs> anyway. But it's not my fault. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so McCoy is like, hey, you going to tell me what's going on or what? And Spock says, no, it's a secret. (laughs) Don't tell anybody. (laughs) And Spock's like, hey, uh, Bones, I do have one thing I got to tell you, though. Go look behind that door. (laughs) Boom, there's Pike. (laughs) And Pike's like, no, 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 no. no." (laughs) He's like the least sophisticated R2-D2 in existence. (laughs) Just like two beeps over and over. You know, I, I started feeling really bad for Pike after watching this again. Cause I was just like, this guy is literally the yes. his equivalent of, he is screaming and crying. Don't let this happen. And bones is like, well, that's weird. <laughs> I just, Oh my God. He like the, it, it's like those dreams where you can't scream. Yes. And watching this guy, I'm just like, Oh, there's gotta be something he can do. Anyway, and he so, thinks maybe there is something he can do, but then Spock squelches that really fast. Yeah, with right. His pre-recorded tape he made off of spliced together messages on his answering machine. <laughs> Hello, Hello this is Jim this is Kirk. Kirk, <laughs> <laughs> you should be a very good doctor. <laughs> do whatever Spock says. Remember, we're going to Talos for. <laughs> man i miss movie phone <laughs> ghostbusters is also playing at <laughs> so hey, back on the bridge hansen tells spock hey there's something about the size of a shuttlecraft following us i'm not sure what it is because I only scan to see how big things are because that's all their shapes are. He's like, I I know it weighs 234 tons. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have this button. That's the silhouetter that shows me what shape things are. (laughs) And this one's the bathroom scale that shows me how, how much mass it is. And and that's pretty much, that's my extent. It's so good too. Like it's about the size of a shuttlecraft. Hmm. (laughs) You know, her yeah. back there like, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> yeah, because there's nothing about the size of a shuttlecraft that exists in the world, right? right? <laughs> and so yeah, he's the like, thing is, this were Kirk, though. What? There's a small ship out there by itself? Chase it down. Right? <laughs> find it. Find Get it. Get some handcuffs. We're going to have we're going to have to chase this down. <laughs> I think it's got a tail light out. <laughs> so... <laughs> He's like, Hanson's like, oh, you know, there's something following us. We should probably turn around. And Spock's like, nope, 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 nope. And I do like Spock's whole thing where he does this while he's saying this. He has to do the whole lean forward on the console type thing. Very, very uh, Will Riker on the back arch type thing. You know, he's, he's kind of taking up this, he's taking over some people's space. So would you say that actually all along Riker's been going the full Spock? Yes. Yes. Ah, it all comes around. It's full circle. <laughs> now we know. Maybe the next time Riker throws his leg over a saddle, he'll shout Spock. <laughs> oh. The way he does that is like, oh, Spock. <laughs> Thank you, Boimler. <laughs> so we cut back to uh, what we see now as the shuttlecraft, which if in the original, this was the 
a shot that they took from Galileo 7, which had been shot earlier, mm-hmm. and they used the same shot. But when we did the updates, the updates did a little more crisp uh, shuttle, and they actually threw some letters on it and named it Picasso. Yeah, I have to admit, I, I zoomed in a couple times to to check this one out because I was like, that script that's on there, it looks very much like the Galileo, but... <laughs> That's weird. So I zoomed in mostly because I was wondering if this was the hurdle model or not yet. Uh, Was it hurdle? No, not, not, not hurdle. Um, Oh gosh. I'm totally blanking on the name of the model company. AMT. AMT. Thank you. Uh, Whether or not it was the AMT model. Um, So I I was zooming in to see that and the Picasso name really stuck out and I was like, that's weird. And I looked it up and sure enough, I added it for the, just for the remaster. (laughs) Which the shuttlecraft itself is an interesting thing, and uh, when we hit Galileo Seven, we'll kind of dive into that a little bit, a little bit more because it's it's a really a star of that particular, it's a character and a star of that particular episode. The other thing that was interesting about this is that for some reason they kept screwing with the numbers. Uh, like for instance, this was not supposed to be Starbase Eleven; it was supposed to be Starbase Four. Um, in one of the versions of the script. And for some reason they changed it to 11. Like, I don't really know why it does. It's not like that's ever come up before or anything. <laughs> and the shuttle was the same thing. It was supposed to be shuttlecraft four. And for some reason in the script, it became shuttlecraft one, just weird stuff. Not really sure what that's about. <laughs> arbitrary, uh, yeah. arbitrary changes that don't really affect anything or, uh, yeah, that's, I can imagine the Starbase 11 thing was a Starbase 4. That makes it sound wimpy. No, we got at least 10 other Starbases out there. Right. <laughs> anyway. So they sent a message and they're like, hey, Enterprise, um, can you just stop? And they do something that really pisses me off in Star Trek. <laughs> so Star Trek makes a huge deal about how they use voice for like everything. Even on the original series, they use voice for a ton of stuff but they always start their messages by somebody has to push a button on a console. So they push a button and they start talking. Oh yes. Uh, ambassador. It's very good to talk to you. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay, cool. We'll be right there. And then they pause for a moment and they, Oh man, I hate that guy. What a jerk. Isn't he? <laughs> Nobody ever mutes or turns off the phone. And they did the same thing here. They use this really loud clacky button to turn on the communications and they just start talking. And then they start tar- having a conversation about them. Like d- you didn't turn off the radio, man. They just heard all of that. Starfleet limits all messages to 30 seconds. Yeah. Right. They're like, and 29. <laughs> oh, wow. I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So Kirk is like, well, let's go as fast as we can. Let's let's push this this thing as as hard as we can, and and, and Mendes Mendes is like, like, well, you know, we're not going to get back if you do that. And Kirk's like, damn the horses, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I can't have my ship, I don't want to live. Yeah, right. I, I okay. So or is this more of a case of him being like the you know the the pitiful guy outside the girl's uh, you know uh, window in the rain, you know? Enterprise, won't you come back to me, <laughs> Enterprise? It wasn't about the ship. <laughs> oh, so Spock's like, uh, how long until the point of no return? The computer's like, yeah, that's that's really already happened. 
Ooh, did you want to know about that? I should have told you about that, shouldn't I? <laughs> you got to love it when the computer's like, whoopsie. <laughs> I don't know. So they, they say that the Jim pushes on and the, the um, Enterprise is scanning this and they mention something about ion engines, which <clears throat> this is one of those things of in a later episode, Scotty's going to mention that some aliens have ion engines and man, they could really teach us a thing or two. Yeah. So I mean, they're different sort of ion engines, but I don't know if ion engines are impulse. Was this shuttle supposed to be, it had to have been going warp because the enterprise is going warp. There's no way they would get even close to, but you know, so I assume well, the would have had to have warp, right? I mean, they're still talking about it. Well, I don't know the episode they're about to watch. They start, or they're still talking about how they've broken the time barrier. <laughs> so I honestly don't know what they're doing with this. Like, I don't think they figured out that impulse is slower than warp or anything like that. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. There's been some interchangeability at this point. Right? Yeah. I mean, at this point, it could be that that impulse engines are something that pump ions, and so they're actually just a different form of engine versus a warp engine. I don't know. Which we do currently have an ion engine currently that does just that. So it's true. It's not, I mean, it's not going to get you up to light speed, but you know, well, what, we have some fairly passable hydrocarbon hydrocarbon models as well. I mean, you know, we've, we've had those for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those, those work. I don't know. Anyway. So, after Spock asks this, he's clearly really pissed off that the computer doesn't work as well as a slide rule. And he, the, uh, the, we go back to the shuttle. Now, this scene is super weird because it starts off with Kirk and Mendez staring into Ikea lamp TVs. <laughs> and they're like nose to nose with these things, right? And that's the scene. They're just staring at these things. And you're like, um, what's, what's going on? And then they both just kind of sit back from them and they don't really say anything. And you're like, so what exactly just happened? (laughs) And then Kirk gets up and walks across the room and is like, well, that's it. And then he goes over to a dial on the wall and he's like, oh, only two hours of oxygen left. And you're like, oh, did it, did they run out of gas? Is that what happened? Because they don't mention it at all. The power, the power goes down. Yeah, but it's... And Mendo says, now we ghost. It's just not obvious. I'm sorry. (laughs) If I was, if I was seven and watching this show in 1967 or 68, I would not have understood that at all. First of all, I do have to ask, wait a second. You guys can run out of oxygen in your solocrafts because it seems like you should have some sort of life support system that isn't going to do that. Well, second of all, this is the only ship that you had. This is the fastest ship you had available at Starbase 11. There is that. Yeah. I mean, not even a captain's yacht hanging around or anything. <laughs> the, I, the other thing I, I will say when it comes to the O2, though, um, I think that this is the best option because normally on Star Trek, they're like, Oh, well, we don't have to worry because we have our oxygen generators. They just take care of it for us. Yes. Nobody cares how much oxygen we really have. (laughs) Whereas these guys are like, no, we're, you know, people. And this is, uh, you know, the world. Um, We need air. So we carry air. 
And my only problem with it is you only have enough for two hours. Like where do you take these shuttles? Cause like, yeah, that's, you gotta have a little more than that. Of course, we don't know how long they were actually traveling. So I guess, I guess it's possible that they did have life support, but he expended all of the fuel. It seems a little odd that you would use the same system to power your life support as your engines, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. Although, the good thing about the shuttlecrafts back then is that they only carried two hours of air, but they did have six hours of booze. So, you know, <laughs> your mileage may vary. <laughs> That's what that whole back section was. Yeah. It did seem very large for a thing that had nothing on it. <laughs> I guess when you're a Commodore, you can have a wet bar on your shuttlecraft. That would make sense. Uh, fair point. Actually, what I'm thinking about, if I was a Commodore, I would have a wet bar on my uh, shuttle. So, yeah, okay. Totally makes sense. <laughs> so, McCoy's like, Spock, you're you're full of crap. And Spock's like, well, you know, there's, there's other things you don't understand. <laughs> so, he, he gets up into, into McCoy's face. He's like, come, come over here. I, I need you to come over here for a minute. And so, they walk over to the other side of the bridge for some reason. And he's like, so yeah, I've been lying. I, <laughs> I totally stole the ship. I'm a bad guy. Uh, you're going to have to arrest me. Hey, Hanson, you should see that security down here. <laughs> so yeah, everybody, he calls security himself. He also throws in a cryptic uh, command to the computer that nobody really understands. He's just like, hey, access this tape and do that. <laughs> You know, all those tapes I gave you before, well, I got one more baby, <laughs> which I have to wonder, he had specific numbers for those. How many contingency plans did he have? I mean, he seems to have planned as we go through this, he planned for everything. I would That's really true. like to know all the contingencies that he came up with that figure they need certain tapes with certain scripts to do right. all this. <sighs> I'm glad I need tape 14. We don't even have bananas on this ship, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's a possibility. So, <laughs> so, so yes, this is the moment when yeah. Hansen demonstrates that much like the word dude, the word sir has many meetings depending on how you use it. Because <laughs> <laughs> he totally is like, sir? Yes. Hansen's in command. Wait, wait what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hansen. <laughs> you know what you just said, right? <laughs> Cause that makes no, you know where I am on the command role. Right? Oh, man. <laughs> and so Spock is like, all right, bones, arrest me. And bones is like, yeah. Um, security shows up. And he's like, uh, I guess you got to arrest him. You should put him in. Um, hey Spock, is your quarters? Okay. And Spock's like, yeah, that's fine. And he's like, Okay. Yeah. His quarters, put him in his quarters. That seems like a good idea. <laughs> and, <laughs> this is I, also great. The way that they exit. And Ahura runs up behind like, guys, what, what is going on here? <laughs> what the living hell? <laughs> Her little bit on this is great. Cause when he, the shot that they have of uh, Spock and McCoy, they're facing each other. And as soon as Spock tells McCoy, Hey, you know, the charge is mutiny. She jumps up in the chair and bet- you see her between the two of them jumps on the chair in total disbelief. And then she just follows the whole thing of like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. No, I, I will say these first couple of uh, episodes that she's um, 
that, that she's really active in, she gets some great scenes where it's like real reactions, like her hanging out with uh, Ensign, or excuse me, Yeoman Rand. Uh, this scene, like just a whole bunch of them where she just like her reactions really set the whole tone. And it's like, that's how a real person whose friend just got screwed in some way is going to react. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes even more sense now that we know that they've, they knew each other for a long, long time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and again, where is Scotty? Well, oh, you that's know. right. <laughs> Scotty's, uh, you know, making sure that a shuttlecraft can't catch him. <laughs> he's, I just always imagine you just seeing his his feet stick out underneath of some panel like he's working on something and he just hear you know <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk is getting closer in the, the shuttlecraft I'm not really sure how they got there because they're dead in the water and the Enterprise is still moving whatever oh, uh, um, Spock locked a tractor beam oh, onto him that's right the tractor beam the tractor beam where a shuttle going at impulse power is chasing a starship going up warp. <laughs> so it's it's roughly yeah. halfway across the galaxy. He uses tractor beam. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I was a little it's like how how far does your tractor beam actually right? work? That's uh God, I'm a nerd. Oh jeez. <laughs> but it does bug me. Well actually it works for a long way on something that just happens to be the size and mass of a shuttle shuttlecraft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Kirk calls in, he's like, hey uh Scotty why don't you uh, go ahead and park this car in the garage for me? That is like, okay. I was kind of planning on that. I mean, you know, whatever. Thanks for asking me to do the obvious. You know, if you could get right on that, that would be great. <laughs> so Hanson's like, uh, Hey, 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 hi Kirk. Hi. Um, um, can you, can you, you guys please take the ship back? <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and Mendes is like, you know, well, Kirk's like, where's Spock? And oh, Spark's in his quarters. And Mendes comes out in his quarters after he, what he's done. And Hans is just like, dude, it's been a day, okay? <laughs> Listen, I was going to shoot the first officer for you, but I thought maybe yes. after. <laughs> what was the expectation here? Right? Take out the phaser and kill him? <laughs> put him in his, I put him in, I sent him to his room. It's fine. Mendez is like, We've is he finished his last, last cigarette yet? <laughs> so. <laughs> it's just really has the whole energy of, of a guy who's like, please don't make me do this anymore. Or her as like, hey guys, the ship started moving again. <laughs> Kirk's like, we'll make it stop. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's like no one here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do love that. We'll tell the hands and oh, nobody's up there giving commands. All right. <laughs> Dude, keep your mouth shut. Your boss's boss is standing right behind you. <laughs> I don't know, sir. Why don't you tell me what to do? Oh, <laughs> uh, we don't bother sending people to the bridge anymore. I mean, computer took over the ship. What are you going to do? You know, I can't wait for Kirk to look at Mendez and be like, huh, Hanson, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, brakes are gone. No point in steering now, eh? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so they, uh, they, they, they're like, we can't get the ship to stop. And Scotty is just like, ugh, I'll fix it. <laughs> I love his reaction. Just like, oh, what you screwed up now? Move. <laughs> storm I'll out. do it. It's so good. And Kirk's like, 
computer, um, do what I say. And Enterprise is like, no. <laughs> it, and I do love that while they're going through this whole thing, Spock is in his room listening to the entire thing. Right. Like they didn't think to turn off his, his access or anything. No, he's just like, I'm going to find all the cameras. And then I do have to say looking at, looking at his quarters, man, that bowling trophy behind him, that red bowling trophy. <laughs> that's pretty sweet. That's, all right. I'm, I'm not going to take credit for this one. You totally pointed this out, but it is the craziest thing I've ever seen. They were about to go to commercial. So they had to have dramatic effect of the ship isn't working. So watching Spock's monitor, the camera does a dramatic pan out. <laughs> what the heck is that? I love the interior sensors on the Enterprise. Oh my gosh. Because really? <laughs> the thing is, this will remain true. This is true to canon because Star Trek 3? Yep. What do we see at the end? This, the Enterprise's interior uh, visual sensors have amazing dramatic sense. I mean, it's just really... It's crazy how well we see people planting bombs, <laughs> how well we see people knocking other people out. Like the sensors only track the stuff going on. They don't, you never see a shot of like, yep, this is a hallway. Nobody's been down that hallway in like three hours. <laughs> no, that doesn't exist. It reminds me of last episode we did Corbite Maneuver mm-hmm. when Kirk is in his quarters and Spock says, take a look at this. And you see the picture of Spock and he flips it over to the picture of the spinning cube. The music comes on at the same time. Yep. So it seems that the enterprise's exterior sensors also have some sort of dramatic AI algorithm. Absolutely. Do you, can you imagine how boring that job would be if it didn't have the dramatic music? (laughs) Sir, the Klingons have arrived. Okay. Well, let's put them on screen, I guess. Kind of seems like there should be more build up to this, right. but whatever. They come on screen. They're like, "Hey," he's like, "Hi, um, what's up?" And they're like, uh, "We're gonna kill you." Okay. <laughs> like, see, it's just boring without the music. <laughs> the music makes it. <laughs> Need a little bit of Klingon pop. <laughs> All right, so we come back for commercial, and we finally, finally. We're three quarters of the way through the episode. We finally get a star date. 301, 301.2.4, which is three less than last week. <laughs> Listen, it's so bizarre. The only thing I can think is somewhere in the corner of that uh, writer's room, Gene was sitting there going, hee, 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 hee. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so now it's time for the preliminary hearing. For Lieutenant Commander Spock? Yeah, which I thought was weird. I thought Spock was a full commander at this point. You know, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. Um, yeah. Between watching the cage, the man trap, and then the regular series, I don't know. Or not the man trap, uh, where mo- no man has gone before. And the regular yeah. series, I, I, I'm not really sure. And then they just call him Spock all the time. It's not like yeah. you know, Kirk is disrespecting yeah, uh... him and being like, hey, yeoman. He he doesn't do that. <laughs> so no, I need to look at that. I I know the braids on the sleeve pretty much tell us, but uh, or do but they? Yeah, I was at this point they were that. still figuring that out too. So I don't know. True, very very true. So yeah, we go into the uh, uh, um, the courtroom, which of course is the uh, 
is the rec room slash conference room slash everything <laughs> extra room. It's got chairs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in all fairness, they did this on uh, TNG also. They they oh, repurposed yes. 10 forward and the uh, um, the observation lounge over and over and over again. Anytime they needed a large space, they just <laughs> rip all the furniture out, put in a couple chairs and a desk and go, oh, this is a new room. I love what you've done with this room. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock pretty much says, you know what? I, I don't need counsel. In fact, I don't even think this hearing is necessary. Let's just, let's just dress up fancy and go to the court martial. Okay. So everybody shows up all fancy, including Mendez. Mendez, who got here on a shuttle. Yes. Bet he doesn't have a set of clothes on this ship. I was I was thinking the same thing when I watched this earlier. It's like, wait a second, where does he get his right? Now, one thing that happens though when they're still in the preliminary is that Spock does some legal maneuvering, which he's going to do again a little bit later. But Not his first Spock. thing is he tells him, "Oh, I want a court martial," and Kirk's like, "You can't have one." And Spock's like, "Uh, why?" Kirk's like, "Him, Mendez, me, Kirk." That's it. You need three people to court martial your butt, and there's only two command people around here. And Spock says, <laughs> "No, I brought one myself." Yeah. And Kirk's like, "You can't use him. He's he's an invalid." That's the first thing he says again. Yeah. And, and Spock's Spock like, "Well, <laughs> um, for about insurance that. reasons, <laughs> um, no, I really." No. Not for insurance reasons. This line is fantastic because it is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> we didn't have the heart to retire him. He's in the military for crying out loud. If there's one thing the military does not have, it's heart. <laughs> there is no way that they were like, well, we feel bad for you. So we're going to let you be a high ranking captain in the military. No, nah, no way. But whatever. I assumed it was to keep them from uh, from suing uh, the manufacturers of the J type uh, class ship. Whole thing is lawsuit. I'm sorry, those baffles have been a problem <laughs> for centuries now, and they still haven't done anything about it. Oh man! But can you imagine those legal proceedings, sir? Will you accept remaining captain and not sue? Beep. <laughs> okay, sir. Do you want a financial settlement? Beep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so. it uh, it seemed a little bit odd. Yes, the, the the whole thing of yeah, we didn't retire him. So Spock gets what he wants, and what I really like is Mendez kind of gloats to Kirk. Hey, whatever you planned, he planned it really well because he got you in a corner, <laughs> which is going to be hilarious because it's not going to be so funny when it happens to Jose. Well, that is true. <laughs> so uh everybody puts on their fancy clothes and they all uh they they prepare for a nautical court martial. So this is the first time thing. this is the first time we've seen the uh the dress uniforms, isn't it? Um actually I don't know. I think that yeah, I think this is the I first time looked looked it up, but I didn't look it up. because Scotty still doesn't have one yet. Well, that's he does. He just threw up on him. <laughs> 
Sorry. I'm not, I'm not aware of that thing, especially if you're going to make me operate, especially if you're bringing me in to be the projectionist, which is what eventually is going to happen here. So yeah, everybody walks in. Now the, the if you have never seen these before, the dress uniforms are basically a silk uniform of a same or similar color as the standard uniform tunic. They have braid around the collar. They have braid going down the front zipper. And then you have the, uh, uh, the fruit salad, um, medals on the side showing all the different, uh, accommodations and wonderful things each officer has done. They look really uncomfortable. They do look extremely uncomfortable. Um, they also look really fragile because the, the, all the braids on this have the look of the, you know, like Christmas ribbons. Um, like they're just going to peel off as <laughs> yes. soon as the fabric tape dies. Yes. Which I'm sure is probably exactly what happened. Um, <clears throat> now it is interesting um, that on uh, Strange New Worlds, they just recently had to use dress uniforms. Yes. And yes. when they did the dress uniforms, the costume uh, designer, uh, who is Bernadette Croft, said that uh, she did, in fact, model them after the menagerie. Um, yeah, I, and I thought they did a really good job on that. Oh, actually, they're fantastic, and they they modernized them so well. They're beautiful. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> um, and they do not look like the fabric tape is about to let go. <laughs> they're they're far better tailors than uh, than the original series were. Oh yes, yeah, and I mean, materials have come a long way. Oh yeah, sure, sure. I mean, because that printed in the Strange New Worlds, the the printed braid they had down the front. That's that was actually really really cool. I think yeah, they did it's super neat. That. But anyway, so we get to our court martial, and they've got the cool little bell at the top uh, of the computer, which is a is a cool look, and that's going to be become something of a Star Trek uh, standard for courtroom drama Star Treks. Which, yeah, I mean, they're eventually going to try to make the bells look weird and different. And like super future bells, but still use because <laughs> yeah, they always try to modernize a bell. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like because one one piece of technology we really need to modernize, right? The bell. Yeah, but I mean, at least it still is a bell every time they modernize it. Unlike the you know the bosun's whistle, uh, <laughs> which is this weird mechanical thing. I don't understand why they need a mechanical whistle, but a manual bell. It's weird. Well, actually, the last time somebody did a technological upgrade of a bell, it turned into a cannon. So, all right, that's fair. <laughs> maybe, maybe don't upgrade the bell. <laughs> anyway, so Mendez so, is like, why, why did you do this? <laughs> yeah, he really goes off. I want to know why. And, and Spock's like, are you really asking me? Do you really want to know? <laughs> You really, really, really want to know? Say it to the computer that you want to know. Right. And then he goes, oh, okay. Turn on the TV. Like, well, <laughs> why are we going to do that? It's like, because you wanted to know. Exactly. And what I'm about to tell you is going to be on TV. Listen, I think my work will speak for itself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they turn on the movie. And Mendez is like, I'm not going to watch any TV. And Kirk has to tell him, no, see, here's the thing. That thing you laughed about, about him manipulating me earlier. Yeah. <laughs> he just did that to you because by asking him the open question, 
why he gets to say anything he wants to now. So yeah, we're all a bunch of legal geniuses around here. Yeah. So they turn on the movie and it's 13 years ago on the enterprise. At least so says uh, Spock. And, and you tell us 13 years ago because nobody's painted those damn doors. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately Kirk stops the movie and he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Pike, is this really what's going on? Cause let me tell you the scanners on the bridge seem to have really good focus and pick up on all <laughs> just the right things. Kirk has all the same problems we have with this video. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is bootleg. This is definitely bootleg. And of course, Pike (laughs) is like, I remember this. (laughs) No, that was me. Uh, Oh, wait, no. He said, beep. (laughs) (laughs) Was that you? Beep. Right. (laughs) Anyway. So so they're they're kind of weird about, we don't know where this is coming from. And Mendes is like, you know what? I don't even have to look at it because I don't know where it's coming from. And Spock's (laughs) like, well, no, you asked why. So I get to do whatever I want. And it's like, fine. I'm not opening my eyes. Neener, neener, neener. <laughs> anyway. So we do that great dive in shot, which they never did in the regular Star Trek, but that great dive in shot from the exterior to the interior. It is such a cool shot. Yeah. I, I can't believe they did that so well. Um, I, now, my first reaction when I first saw it was, wow, 60s television. They did that cool shot. Then it dawned on me. No remaster. <laughs> okay. But still great idea for the shot. Actually, the, the original shot mm-hmm. was pretty good. I'm sure it was. It wasn't that smooth. There's no, no way it was that no. smooth. Cause like no. they went through the glass. Like there's yeah. no way, but awesome. <laughs> so we get to see Pike sitting on a bridge, a very monochrome bridge. This is a black, white, and silver bridge. We, It's amazing how much the red is going to actually really liven up the bridge under Kirk. And I'm trying That's, to imagine that first day when he takes over the ship, just like, I want this all red. You know, right. so. Listen, the overlords at uh, RCA are telling me that we need to paint. <laughs> so we shall paint. <laughs> So it was kind of one of those trading spaces things I had, you know, some guys come in and uh, what I see here is lots of red. So they, they, we come in on a general alert and it's the horrendous first episode general alert siren. That's just like, Oh man. Oh my God. It's so bad. It's, it's like somebody is playing a violin with a cat, right? It's just awful. Oh, and, you know, the, the look on Kirk's face is like, oh, thank God Scotty fixed that. <laughs> so they, I don't know how much detail we want to go in on this, but I mean, it's the cage. We're watching an episode of the cage or watching the episode of the cage. They are coming in faster than, or something's coming in faster than light. We have no idea what it is. Should we move around <laughs> it? I don't know. <laughs> Let's we just stare. It might be an asteroid. Well, no, it's coming in faster light, so it's not an asteroid. Right. And uh, then we I, find out it's a radio wave. Well, and that's after we stare at the screen for a while, which <laughs> I don't think that's going to help because you can't see a radio wave, but whatever. <laughs> Plus, again, your monitor is way off because it keeps on refreshing like every three seconds. 
I love the the guy at the communication station. He's like half sitting in his chair and like kind of sliding off the console. He, he like we've made jokes about the characters being drunk. This guy looks like the actor's drunk. He's, he's just like, yeah, it looks like he's not so much pushing the buttons as he's grabbing onto them to right? keep from sliding out it's of his so chair. Like told him we're going really, really fast, and he's like, "Oh, I, I can do this. I can be fast." <laughs> also, I don't know why, but it, it totally looks like Spock's shirt is on backwards. Like he's got the square part of the of the collar against his neck, and not the round part that's on the back. <laughs> well, he's an alien, so right. And of course, Kirk doesn't seem to have anything to say about the fact that there is a female number one on the bridge. That would be Pike. Or what? That would be Pike. Kirk. Kirk. Kirk, who's watching the video. Oh, I gotcha. Kirk has nothing to say about this, even though he has a problem with the fact that, that he's got a female yeoman, but first officer's fine. I just don't want a a lady getting my coffee for me. (laughs) Well, I said, I definitely don't want a lady having access to my computer, right? And my search history. And then everybody's that nature. Is like, hey, hey, Captain, here's a piece of paper. Oh, oh, Captain, I have a piece of paper. Oh, <laughs> I have a piece of paper. <laughs> There's so much paper on Pike's Bridge. <laughs> oh, strange new worlds. Come on, guys. There's no paper on Pike's Bridge. Come yeah. on. Yeah, I, I, I would say. The, you get the you get kind of the sense that this this uh, enterprise was sponsored by Epson, yeah, right? And the thing is, there's no waste paper baskets anywhere. Nope. So I'm expecting by the time they actually get Talos, there should just be like paper all over the bottom of the bridge, all over the floor of the bridge. No, actually, <laughs> funny story. It's all made from edible seaweed. That totally makes sense. Uh, yeah, underneath. Uh, every single one of the stations, there's actually a little dehydrator. And if you put those in there, you have a lovely little, it's got salt in there too. It's a little, little salty seaweed snack. You know, actually that would made a great scene when he, Pike is sitting there and the guy goes up and hands him the memo. Pike reads the memo, wads it up and then just puts it in his mouth. And, chews it. <laughs> <laughs> and goes on, you know, Right. As if nice memo, secret. Benedetto. <laughs> All right. Oh, so, oh, oh, is there an atmospheric report? Oh, thank goodness. I am famished. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a comms report in like three hours. <laughs> Could you make it a strawberry one? <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out it's a distress call. It's a ship that went down 18 years ago. And so they're like, well, guess what, though? It's on a class M planet, breathable atmosphere, weighs 340,000 tons or however big, because that's all we care about is how much things weigh. It's the size of a planet. <laughs> and Pike's and Pike's like, you know what? That happened a long time ago. Right. Those suckers are dead. We just gotten beaten up. We're not going. And Spock's kind of like, we're not going. No, no, let's, let's be yeah. honest. What Spock does is he says, sir, I have found the planet. It's right here. <laughs> You should look over at the screen. <laughs> I absolutely love Spock shouting on the bridge. It's the best. I do like also his, his the, he has the arm movement to uh, control his uh, slideshow. Yep. Uh, like he's using a Microsoft connect or something. <laughs> look at my hand movements. They're totally natural. 
<laughs> so then we go I to the next scene. My hands. And the next scene and is Captain Pike trying to go from one place to another on the, on the ship. But before we see Captain Pike, who are we going to see? <laughs> Our favorite character of all time, yeah. Tennis Girl. Tennis Girl. Man. I think this is going to be the last appearance of Tennis Girl in Star Trek. Yeah, Tennis Girl and Tennis Boy, they've got a date and they're never coming back. <laughs> uh, incidentally, I don't think we ever see this doorway again either. The big weird triangle doorway that Tennis Girl and Tennis Boy disappear under. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, at least before they left, they tried to take out Pike again. <laughs> yeah, you know, like how he just kind of pushes him out of the way. Right? Like, <laughs> this is my scene, jerks. <laughs> I'm the captain. Right. This is, and it's your day off. Get out of the way. <laughs> so Pike goes to his quarters, his tiny, tiny quarters, which has room enough for a bed and a desk, which <laughs> what happened? Well, okay. So you set one kitchen fire. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now that I think about this is before strange new worlds. So I have a feeling he took over um, like a couple of people's. Yeah, he took out a deck. He was like, all right, this is this is ridiculous. You know what it is? He's so depressed in this episode. I think he was like, you know what will make me feel better? Remodeling. I just, I really think a kitchen remodel is what I need right now. I, I want to see the demo section with the uh, sledgehammers going through the wall. Right. <laughs> She's expanding. I don't know. I figure, I figure Pike would have started small. Like, I'm going to hang some pictures. So I want the footage of the people in the next room as the nails start popping through and, and the, the drill bit comes through and they're like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? That's, that's really what happened to tennis girl. She was in the room next door and he kicked her out and she had to go somewhere else because he took her quarters. Tennis girl mystery solved. There you go. Oh my God. There it is. That's why she was so rude to him in the hallway. She knew he was going to knock down the wall. And now I really do want to have the, the, uh, the modern Paramount Plus Tennis Girls. The Adventures off. of Tennis Girl. Oh, goodness. After I was thrown off the Enterprise so somebody could get bigger quarters, <laughs> I decided to make the best of my Starfleet career. You know how Pike has the most amazing kitchen in all of Starfleet? Well, guess what? That's my bedroom. <laughs> At least it was before he got there. Anyway. So... This is the scene, the famous scene where Pike is sad and depressed and laying on his bed and the doctor comes in and the doctor is like, Hey, um, I'm not bones. And <laughs> he's got his leather. Let's bag. get drunk. <laughs> right. I have just the cure. And Pike's like, Oh, I can't take any drugs. I don't want to take anything you have. And he's like, on a drink. And he's like, well, who wants a warm martini? He puts right? ice in martini. Now, first of all, what I do like is, Pike goes into his room, picks up his communicator, tells, hey, Dr. Boyce, come here. Puts it down, sits on the bed. The doctor comes in and starts messing around his bag. And Pike's like, what are you doing? I didn't say anything's wrong with me. It's it's like, true. Dude, dude, you called you called the doctor. Right. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Pike's like, didn't you hear me? I said there were monkeys jumping on the bed. <laughs> I just wanted you to tell me no more of that. I mean, so, you don't, you don't I call a plumber over to your quarters and say, nothing's wrong with my toilet. Right. <laughs> I just wanted to talk. Damn it. <laughs> so uh, I did like also that his communicator had the flip thing. Oh, yes. It's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> it will forever be the best part. 
And you notice these communicators are plex- they have like a plexiglass oh, yeah. look through. This uh, this Mark One communicator is real weird. Okay, so here's <laughs> it's the thing: super fragile too. Something about George Samuel Kirk's untimely death on the Kelvin is going to cause everyone to decide that starships need to look like those communicators and use that plexiglass on everything. There's a connection Bro, there somewhere. Don't tell me things like that. There's a connection there somewhere. That old communicator somehow plays into the Kelvin universe. I don't know how yet. All right. I don't know what it has to do with That's Greendale, enough. but it's going. It didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so Pike starts talking about Rigel seven because he's sad and all right. Now that's not fair. He's going through some pretty severe PTSD. Let's be honest. Yes. yes. Um, and I, I will say watching the, the strange new worlds episode that really ties in the Rigel seven stuff. I, it really, it kind of puts it into a better focus and made this scene a little more powerful. I think. Yes. Yeah. I would for, agree for me personally. I watched the cage. Then I watched the strange new worlds episode. Then I watched this one. So between the cage and the menagerie, I have changed my opinion of this scene completely. Yes. It's, yes. It does add more depth and, and this scene makes much more sense. Right. It's real good. So the doctor's like, you know, I know you have PTSD and I, I know that there's nothing that can take away the horrors in your, in that are in your soul and your brain and your mind. And I, I feel very bad for you. So I think you should just, you know, take a vacation and like, you know, get it together, dude. <laughs> and Pike's like, no, I'm going to quit. Like, right. dude, take a vacation first. <laughs> Four hundred years. Our best advice for PTSD is get drunk and take time off. <laughs> right. Yeah, there are certain areas we are not going to advance that quickly in. That's true. So, Boyce is basically finishing up with, dude, suck it up, just move on. <laughs> and Spock is like, there are survivors on Talos. <laughs> I told you, jerk. <laughs> so, now, to Pike's credit, he announces exactly what's going to happen. And he's like, hey, everybody, ship wide. We're going to Talos. <laughs> but it's like, it, it is kind of, you know, aircraft captain-y. <laughs> hey, everyone, I'd just like to let you know we're going to be cruising at 300,000 feet today. And uh, we're, if you look out the left, you're going to see Talos 3. Not to be confused with Talos 4, which is on our right. <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a heavy backwind and should be arriving at Talos with 30 minutes to spare. Let's just hope we don't see any. Romulans today wouldn't want a bumpy ride. Now would we? All right. So anyway, so we go back to Mendez and he's like, you know, this isn't, I can't watch any more of this. This is a court of space law. <laughs> like Star Trek does a really good job of leaving Astro and star off of a lot of things. But man, do they but put space on it say, all? This is a court of space law. And I'm expecting just like, and I'm going to use my space. Space gavel and make a space verdict. (laughs) You're about to give me space madness. (laughs) Yes. That's it. I'm going to eat some space cheese and drink some space whiskey. (laughs) Yeah, dude, we're all in space. We know where we're at. Thanks. Would you stop it? Mendez, how many times do I have to tell you? 
But he says, you know what? This is, I'm not going to look at this. I don't know where this is coming from. I'm not going to look for this. And Spock has to kind of tell him, is like, okay, first of all, let me, this is not an inspired by story. This is not even a based on. This is actual footage. Okay. This is, this is like Big Brother or the real world, but it's us. This is what it's like when people get real. Exactly. Mendez is like, listen, I, I'm not listening to this anymore. You're in no position to bargain. And he's like, right, Kirk? And Kirk's like, well, <laughs> I like Spock's look too. No, actually, I'm like, like, in the perfect spot. That's like exactly what we're doing right now. And Kirk's like, yeah, I kind of agree with him. Mendez is looking at him like, don't you dare. And Kirk's like, hey, Pike, <laughs> what do you think? And Pike's like, beep. <laughs> movie night it was the most sarcastic <laughs> beep pike has given the whole show i'm just saying like beep <laughs> mendez is like okay fine let's go <laughs> now at this point the only thing i can think is that mendez doesn't want classified info becoming public knowledge but considering the classified memo was like uh-uh like that's the entire text, right? It's yes. Like, no, no, no. So like, Don't there's no that. real reason that he should be against this. He should be like, you know what? I really do want to know why you went there. <laughs> I, I really do. I don't understand his fight in this game. It really doesn't make sense. So here's my guess. One of the things, one of the great pieces of pride of the United States Navy, there's never, ever been a mutiny on an American naval ship. Ever. Mm. That's this. This is a danger to Starfleet, according in Mendez's mind. If this sort of thing gets out, this could turn people their opinion of Starfleet, and Starfleet is is uh, uh, is something of a political entity. That's fair itself. So I'm guessing that he really wants to shut this whole thing down before it, it gets out that, uh, and then also this whole thing is like, if we end up going to tell us for somebody else, some other idiot's going to try it. Cause you know, copycats. That is TikTok true. TikTok videos. Everybody's got to be like, yeah, I ate the Tide Pod too. <laughs> so we, we turn the movie back on. We go back to the enterprise. Everybody's still turning in reports to, to uh, Pike and, He's stapling them together because you can't staple <laughs> tapes. He needed a peachy folder, like a command peachy folder. <laughs> <laughs> so the helms or the the nav- whatever the guy is who's scanning. He's not <laughs> dude. Yeah, he's just sitting there, whatever. He he starts announcing that they've arrived to tell us for, and there's a debris field. And he scans it and it's rounded metal bits. <laughs> well, that can only be one thing. It must be a ship. <laughs> <laughs> so they take it. Little bits just don't appear places. That's that's insane. Well, if there's one thing you do when you find rounded metal bits, it's you beam down to where those <laughs> rounded metal bits are. <laughs> so he starts looking around the bridge, and he's like, "Uh, you're going with me, and you're going with me, and you know what? Number one." I know you're the ranking officer here, so you know I have to leave you here, right? And Majel Barrett's performance in this is absolutely just like, <laughs> oh, but I wanted to go. Yeah, I get it. You're wrong. Right. You're a hypocrite, but I get it. I don't know. Oh, 
with us not knowing a lot about the planet, we need to leave our no. We need to leave our most experienced officer here. No, right. dude, you're the most experienced officer exactly. here. You were supposed to stay on the ship. If there's anybody in this room who should be going, it is me, not you. <laughs> but whatever. Last time he went, what happened? He ended up in a fortress and people got killed. Okay, I'm just saying. So they they beam down to the surface in their fancy sash holster holder belts. They're kind of weird. They look like ceremonial sashes of some sort with a gun <laughs> velcroed to them. And their fancy field jackets, which I I still don't like them. I, I know I you like them. Jackets. I no, no, I like field jackets. jackets in general. I don't like these. These look oh, like yes. the Mego field jackets. <laughs> I okay, no lie. Um, somebody posted the other day about uh, Pike in his denim outfit that'll be coming up in the next episode. Oh yes, yes. And they posted that they really wanted to see an action figure of him in his Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> now. I'm sure that is a very inappropriate thing to say. And if so, I'm sorry, but that's what the post was. I, so um, of course I also thought this scene was fantastic and wanted to go find this action figure. So I started searching for it and the best that I could find was these field jackets on some, uh, characters that were made or some action figures that were made in the eighties. And they're like, super huge on the figures. <laughs> They're really square and boxy. They don't fit. And I was like, that is the most accurate costume I've ever seen turned into <laughs> an action figure. <laughs> if you want to see a really good action figure outfit, look up the $6 million man doll special mission outfit, which is basically a, it's a doll outfit. It's a, um, denim, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, leisure suit. Dude, I had that. Oh, I, that is awesome. Okay. So my uncle is 10 years older than me. So when I was a kid, I would go over to my grandparents' house and he had uh, his stuff was all still there. And it was a collection of all the same size. Um, Ken, but like the most masculine Ken's they had GI <laughs> Joe, big Jim, and six million dollar man. So, uh, Big Jim was my favorite because it, it actually had the big RV that was a gym set, <laughs> um, and everybody had like the real short cropped fuzzy hair. Uh, it was so much fun. Uh, but yes, one of them was the six million dollar man in a denim jumpsuit. Yes. Awesome. Oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in years. <laughs> oh man. I loved having multiple GI Joe and they all looked exactly the same. <laughs> anyway, sorry, total, totally off tangent there. So field jackets, they're on the planet. Uh, the, the transporter console that was used to beam them down is in fact the helm <laughs> and it would stay that way until, okay. So it will have, will, will not be, in the previous episode that's before, I don't know. The last episode we talked about mechanics, right? The last episode we talked about, they got a new temp or a new, uh, uh, transporter console. Is that the one that finally had, did, you, did the earlier ones have the, uh, the three levers? 
Uh, was no, that the first? Th- was this that the one first did one? not. The when the one that was introduced in the previous episode did. Before okay. that, it was still this console, the Helm. Oh, okay. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so there's no officers in there because you know why would you have officers active or running the elevator? And it turns <laughs> out they also agreed with us. <laughs> I mean, I, here's one thing. If I'm going to have my atoms scrambled, then reassembled, and I can have a guy who's actually a civilian contractor who actually has been educated on this Mm -hmm. or a dude who went to boot camp, Right. Yeah, I'm gonna lean towards the civilian contractor. I want bit. that guy. Yeah, I, I don't. If I see a badge on your chest, I don't want to go. Because <laughs> people right. do some weird things. <laughs> so they get down to Talos Four, and it's fantastic because everybody's hurt. Spock's hobbling <laughs> around. There's a guy with a big old bandaid on his neck, <laughs> and you're like, "Well, that's weird." <laughs> those who've watched the cage, they explain it. <laughs> not going to here. So yeah, we, we, the, the crew was pretty beat up and I think they really could have done a better job kind of filling that out a little bit because everybody on the ship seemed to have been fine. And then, then we got to the planet and we were like, Oh geez, I totally forgot how bad my knee yeah, right? <laughs> I am aching back. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just got over these injuries. They should have pushed the fast forward on the transporter. <laughs> so the transporter makes a horrible wubble wubble oh, wubble sound as it oh, drops them off. Man. And they get down to the planet and you're like, hey, do I hear the, the actual transporter now? No, <laughs> it's the singing leaves because for some reason that's the sound they decided to use for transporters from that point <laughs> forward for the next 60 years. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, this is also the uh, the scene that people always have to bring up where Spock actually smiles. They they find the uh, the leaves that are making these sounds, and Pike grabs a few, and the sound cuts down. And so Spock does the same, then looks at him and throws him a big grin. Yeah, it's real creepy. It's it's not fair that it's creepy because Leonard Nimoy actually has a very nice smile. There's nothing wrong with it. Oh yeah. But the problem is, is that you want to talk about typecasting. Anytime <laughs> I ever saw that guy smile, it was like, ew, that's, that's creepy. I don't like that. That Spock should look smile, quite right. Right. <laughs> and it's too bad. The guy should be, be allowed to smile without people going, ooh. <laughs> now from a uh, rationalization point of view, my theory is that while Pike was captain, Spock was attempting to try to bridge the gap with his, his human well, okay. After Grace, Strange New Worlds, Spock. Now Strange New Worlds has kind of thrown a whole thing into that. Well, no, that's exactly what he was doing. He was trying to bridge the gap. He was like, you know, I, I need to show emotion so that I can commiserate and, and, and you know, be part of the crew and be, you know, happy with my girlfriend. And so he's like, eh, smile. Look, I'm smiling. The, uh, the difference is Strange New Worlds pretty much posits that his, uh, his, um, failed relationship with uh, nurse chapel would cause him to kind of lose that whole thing wait, where I just always assume it fails. <gasps> oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> I just always assumed it. He just, after meeting Kirk and McCoy, he just had right. had it. 
That's it. Um, There's no point in this anymore. Of course, he also got the promotion to first officer as well. So at that point, he's like, you know what? I don't think I need to bridge the gap anymore. I think you need to bridge the gap to me. Right. right. <laughs> he just turned into a giant jerk. <laughs> hey, man, Look, I got to be me. Here's the thing about Vulcans. Yes, humans find all Vulcans to be kind of jerky, but it turns out some Vulcans, even by Vulcan standards, are jerks. <laughs> that's something that we're going to find in every race across the entire universe. Right. There's always jerks. <laughs> so they, they walk around a little bit and all of a sudden they come around a corner and they see <gasps> crazy, huge, gigantic, scary aliens or, you know, a bunch of old guys just standing there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. This scene where they show the survivors and the one old dude <laughs> tells them, they're men and the way he says that's just like oh whoa yeah, waiting for this moment for a while oh man <laughs> it's so good uh, and then they walk up and they introduce themselves and he's like uh yeah hi i'm a doctor and i'm i'm from the american continent institute <laughs> i love that how, how do you discuss that at a party you know what do you do well i'm, I'm into continents well, like, is he, here's the thing I can't figure out. Is he from the American continent Institute and he's doing stuff or like it's an Institute on continents that's in America, or is it an Institute that studies the American continent or is he yeah. an American from the continent? I, I, I don't This know. is an Institute that has a messaging problem. Amen. <laughs> And and they're not great at piloting ships, it seems either. So also true. Kind of got two things going against them. And <laughs> so I don't know. It, it just these guys don't make any sense. <laughs> no, a lot of this doesn't make any sense because the young officer is explaining to him, Hey, you know, we're going to be able to take you back to earth and you won't believe how fast we're going to be able to do that because, you know, we broke the time barrier and these guys were like, yeah, that happened like a hundred years ago. Right. We've been here 18 years, dude. Thanks. Exactly. Don't you, don't you know what's going on here? So we have that moment where Kirk's face turns into, or excuse me, Kirk's face, Pike's face turns into a record scratch because <laughs> a lady walks up. And everybody goes, oh, a lady. <laughs> and not just any lady, but Susan Oliver. Which, Who's awesome. Yes. And we'll get a little bit more into her in the end of the next episode because she's really a fascinating person. Uh, was was a fascinating person in real life. So we touched on it on uh, on our show on the cage, but we'll grab some of that stuff back for the next episode because she is really worth talking about. Not least of which, she is what everybody's talking about when they talk about Star Trek and quote unquote green chicks. <laughs> That's who they're talking about. <laughs> anyway, we'll go back to that. So Pike's like, I don't really know what's going on here, but this is super weird. And Susan, or excuse me, what is her actual name? Oh, uh, Vina. Vina. That's it. Vina's like, hey. Um, should we just walk away for a minute? <laughs> and we see Pike's face as he's like, what? And then we see somebody else is watching that TV show too. 
<laughs> Some aliens are peeking at you. Right. And they've got all their, their brains are breathing and they've got big old heads and they're like, what is this? And then Vina's like, let's go for a walk. <laughs> now she starts to tell, tell Pike is like, yeah, you, you're the guy, you're the guy. And then, uh, Dr. Boyce shows up and says, yeah, Hey, can I give you my report? And Pike's like, yeah, hit me. Boyce's like they're in perfect shape, which in Star Trek, when yeah. people are in perfect shape, that's bad news. That's yeah. never a good thing. That's like, yeah, it's quiet too quiet. <laughs> yes, it's, it's not, you're, you're never getting Captain America. You're never getting Steve Rogers when people are in perfect health in the Star Trek universe. It's always going to be something messed up. Perfect right. health drives perfect physical health means that something mentally is off or something else is going on. Every doctor on the, on Star Trek has at some point said they're in perfect health, which means they're not real. <laughs> Anyway. Oh, except that chick back on Baku that Picard wanted to snog. You mean the immortal woman? That woman. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with her except she can't leave the planet because the planet's making her immortal. And if she leaves, she will instantly age and die. (laughs) Just like her children who are trying to kill everyone. (laughs) Yeah, no, she was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And he was worth worth committing treason over, it would seem, but you know. Right. (laughs) So you got a a a 18-year-old girl, which I'm sorry, no, she was not an 18-year-old girl. (laughs) She she actually was uh 36, I think. Or maybe it was 38. Yeah. Um, it's, it was even before 90210, the 919120 effect still right. existed. Uh, anyway, so she calls him a prime specimen and wants to go for a walk. And he's like, hmm, that seems normal. <laughs> I'm insane if I don't do this, right? I mean, I, I'm crazy if I don't do this, right? You know, nothing gets my motor running like someone saying, you are a perfect specimen. <laughs> Specimen is not the word I want to hear. <laughs> anyway, so all of a sudden some aliens pop out and they're like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and they they put a little beamy thing in his face and it knocks him out cold. There he goes it, down. He folds like a card table. <laughs> it puffs out this little bit of smoke. And all I could think, I, I admit it, I giggled. I was like, <laughs> he got smoked. <laughs> 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 anyway, Imagine the ride up to the uh, uh, in the elevator with the alien. It's like you got your mace, right? You brought your mace, right? You get <laughs> so they all disappear, and the crew shows up, and they're like, "What? What? What happened? What?" And then they see the elevator close, and everybody's like, "I guess we shoot it." <laughs> With an elevator, don't go look for a button. Shoot right. it. Shoot, shoot, shoot. So they all take out their phasers, which are the great first episode phasers that look like a diver flashlight with a focus ring. Um, and they, I, I always thought they looked like somebody took a, uh, a, a really good 
uh, head for a, a garden hose and then stuck it onto one of those old ratchet screwdrivers that looked like a gun. Oh yeah. 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 And it it looks does like kind of, it, it kind of looks like the fireman gun. style, uh, fi- uh, garden hose. Yeah. Cause I always expect them when they're tw- twisting it. I always think it's like, okay, that's spray, right? That's stream. <laughs> and that's, yeah. I don't know. Every time they twist it, all I can think is like when you focus a mag light, <laughs> like, all right, we're going to increase power by focusing the beam, which is probably exactly what the prop guy thought too. Yes. Right. Anyway, so they fire a bunch. It doesn't do anything. And they all just keep firing and firing and firing and firing until finally one of the guys is actually huffing and puffing after that, which I don't really understand. <laughs> Fire, firing phasers is hard work, right? Like, is it pushing back on you and you have to like hold it steady? Like, I don't get it, but whatever. So they, they snap off the movie and uh, everybody's sitting around like, what did I just watch? <laughs> and a her is like, uh, a message for the commoner. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. And uh, she's like, listen, I got some bad news for you. I just noticed that movie. It's not coming from inside the ship. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I've got a phone call. It's from the Viper. He says the Viper is coming. No, um, so yeah, she lets him know that in fact, this is being transmitted from the planet. Oh no. And that explains why the production quality is so many, so much better. And the first thing Kirk is just like, wait a second. We're paying a streaming subscription for Talos (laughs) four. Listen, remember that time your buddy was over and he stayed up too late. (laughs) He subscribed you to that one. Sorry. (laughs) So Lord, I just got rid of the old pike channel and now I got, now I've got this. Right. (laughs) So they tell him, Hey, since the stuff's come from Talos four, you're now in deep doo-doo. So Mendez kick Kirk out of the main chair and do anything you have to do to keep that ship from getting to Talos four. That's right. And the order was actually given by console console which now we know was actually his name, not his rank. Um, as they close up, Scotty and McCoy have to practically push the electric wheelchair out of the room. <laughs> you mean that thing isn't in perfect running order? Weird. <laughs> um, and then we have, uh, and uh, before he does though, I forgot. Mendez tells Spock, listen, you not only screwed yourself on this, but mm-hmm. now your captain's going to end up on the short end of the stick. And Spock's like, dude, Kirk didn't know anything about this. Mendez pulls the whole, Hey, anything that happens on his ship. Right. And Spock is like, no, that's not the way this is going down. And the look on Kirk's face is like, dude, no, that's not in front of dad. <laughs> So Mendez tells him, "Is like you know you you finish yourself and Kirk storms out, and I have no idea why, but I've always liked this ending scene where Kirk sits for probably about five seconds before he finally gets up, and then asks Spock, do you know what you're doing? Have you lost your mind?" <laughs> <laughs> and Spock always Spock gives that great answer. I have no idea why. He's just like, "Don't let him stop." 
don't stop me. Don't let him stop me. Right. Cause it's your career and Pike's life. Which, exactly. Like, dude, this is bigger than us right now, which is a great way to end the episode because now it's kind of put that whole thing of there's way more here at stake now than we originally realized. This oh, 100%. Just, and this isn't just Spock getting, getting court-martialed. There's a whole, there's lots of people involved and this is affecting many people. So I thought it was a really well-written way to end that episode because for a cliffhanger, it really did kind of give something to look forward to. Totally. And, and quite honestly, like a lot of the procedural stuff in this was really clunky and it didn't really work very well in a lot of ways, but the way that they built the tension and the gravitas of this situation is fantastic. I think they did an absolutely amazing job of building the, the, the tension of this scene. And this is just my purely my opinion, but I think you're seeing a good television director kind of turn around a script that was written in four days. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, this, uh, really get the most out this of this reeks of fixing gene, <laughs> <laughs> but let's be uh, honest. Some of the best star Trek is fixing gene. All too true. All too true. Somebody's going to have to step up and fix that. <laughs> right. So it's very talented people. Exactly. So that ends the menagerie part one. Uh, next time uh, join us for, I, I, I don't even know how we ended up here. It's crazy, but the menagerie part two, man, that's a coincidence, right? Um, yeah, that one's going to be real cool. We'll, we'll jump into some of the really crazy stuff from the cage. It'll be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we'd like to take a minute to thank the folks over at five year mission for the use of their song beam down for our intro and outro. Thank you. Make sure to check them out on their website, fiveyearmission.net, where you'll find a song for each episode of the original series grouped into albums for each episode. It's <laughs> so real. cool. Uh, make sure you check them out on Apple music and Spotify as well, uh, where you can download their stuff and, uh, yeah, the, please check them out. They're real cool. And uh, please feel free to stop by and drop us a line. We are No Seatbelts on the Bridge on both Twitter and on Facebook. And you can also find our archive of free episodes all at www.noseatbeltspod.com. All right, folks. We'll see you next time. Thanks. See you then.